From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Good morning, Eric. Ward. 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 You seem extra happy. I am extra happy because we've got some housekeeping to do this morning before we get to an uber exciting interview. Yeah. Yeah. We're really, we're, we're getting into some of the nooks and crannies we haven't gotten into before. Uh, uh, an era we haven't really dove into. A championship era we have not had a chance to uh, get involved with. 1953. But before, <laughs> <laughs> but before we get there, Ward, the Hoosier Hysterics are playing the Bluebird. It's happening. That's right, everybody. The Hoosier Hysterics Homecoming live event, November 16th, Bloomington, Indiana, is taking place at the world-famous Bluebird Nightclub. Of all my favorite places in Bloomington, that might be my very favorite. You spent a lot of time there. Ward's wife uh, was the lead singer of a very popular cover band called Jack Fife back in our day. Shout out, Nick Hoffman. Shout out. Uh, We are so excited. We are going to be at the Bluebird. It is going to be an incredible event. Let's just get through what we know is happening at the event. So much. So much. So should we start with how people are going to eat once they get to the Bluebird? Sure, because it may be one of the most exciting things. Did I jump the gun? Did you want to no. save that to no, later no, in no. the description? No, let's go for it. So the well, let's let's yeah, yeah, no, let's do that. So here's what you're gonna eat at the Bluebird. As you walk up to the Bluebird and you see the Hoosier Hysterics homecoming on the marquee. What's going to be no, out? We still on... have to negotiate that, but yes, yes, it'll no, be it's, on the... <laughs> it's happening. If we have to put up a poster you, you, on the marquee, it'll be on the marquee, or Photoshop it later. <laughs> right. it, it, there'll be pictures. Look, what are they going to see outside? Like on the sidewalk, out in front of the Bluebird, they're going to see a giant food truck. W- what's it going to say across it? It's going to say the Ooh Wee Barbecue Food Truck. Ooh Wee. But you know who owns the Ooh Wee Barbecue Food Truck? I do, but some of our listeners might not. Tell them. Jeffrey Newton. And and George George Leach. Leach. That's right. Two stars from the last Final Four team at Indiana who live in Charlotte and run an unbelievable barbecue business, catering and food trucks, are driving that food truck from Charlotte (laughs) to Bloomington for our event, November 16th. That is, I don't know if it makes me more happy or more hungry, but I'm terribly excited. (laughs) Equally on both. That's right. Jeffrey Newton and George Leach will be at the Hoosier Hysterics homecoming event at the Bluebird, November 16th, and you will be able to partake in their incredible barbecue. And they, they, they do NASCAR events. Like, these guys are the real deal. Real deal. Uh, you so, can search for it. There's a website. There's been articles written about them. That's what's going to happen for food. Doesn't it just make you happy just to see those towering men and their smiling faces 
putting some barbecue on a plate for you. Yeah. It, what a dream. And we're going to get them up on the podcast that we're going to record there. They're going to be part of that. That's why we haven't been able to get them on the phone to do it. It's because we were waiting. The universe wanted it to happen in person. Yes, organically. Uh, you are also going to be entitled to uh, some drinks. Obviously, the Bluebird is a bar. Every ticket will entitle you to two drinks to... Uh, don't, but keep your expensive tastes like at the door. You know this is going to be well drinks and beer. Well drinks. We are a bottom shelf operation. Yes, we are. <laughs> but free, free. That's right. Food and two drinks, free. And now, uh, granted, you do have to sit through us doing a podcast. So I mean, it's kind of even, Stephen. There, there is that. a price to be paid. <laughs> there is a steep price to be paid. We are going to have former players there at the event. As we said, we know George and Jeff will be there. A.J. Moye will be in attendance. Cali representing. We got three Cali guys coming back. So if you're like in Carmel, don't tell me you can't make that drive. We are also told Sharon Wilkerson will be in attendance. I mean, I was just so afraid during basketball season so many of these guys would be occupied, but Sharon's going to be there. Sharon will be there. Lots of other people are going to be there, but I think we'll roll that out as the weeks go because it's still, we're still like, by the time this podcast airs, we'll be about six weeks out from it, I mm-hmm. think, six or seven weeks out. We'll let you know more. Please follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics. There is one important detail. We do not know exactly what time the event is going to start. Our goal is for it to start at noon and go till three. But we are going to have to wait until Indiana announces the official time of the basketball game that day against Troy. Our goal is that we do our event before the game. So follow us on Twitter, at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics, and we will let you know. Follow us on Peegs, too. And speaking of Peegs... We are powered by... I had a side, and Peegs was its name. Since I met Peegs, the web ain't been the same. Richie Valens? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I didn't know how I was going to do the rest. There have been so many comments on how much people hate the Peegs noises, so I'm going to change it up. So now you got to deal with my terrible singing voice. So a little Richie Valens there. Wow. I just was taken to, like, the scene in La Bamba where he's in the phone booth, you know, obviously calling Donna. Yeah. So uh, maybe every time I'm going to do Peegs in a new song. You know I'm down. Yeah. So uh, Peegs.com. Pigs is going to be part of the event. I don't want to commit anybody who's going to be there, but... They all better be there. The royalty of Pigs will be there. I have it on good authority that they will be there, but I don't want to commit specifics, but it's going to be an amazing event November 16th. Hey, we haven't talked about Trevor, the newest member. Oh, yeah. His scouting reports have been great. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a welcome addition, obviously. Get some more insight there and just more wonderful content provided by the great people at Peaks. Yes. Uh, again, just an amazing time of the year to be a Peaks member. The basketball season is right around the corner, so recruiting is heating up for 2020, finishing off that class, and 2021 is coming into clear focus, and the best place to find out all about that is on Peaks.com. All right, so we've got our event out of the way. Yeah. We will be bothering you about that week by week and giving you updates, and now let's get to this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hysterics Nation, we have someone today 
from an era we basically left untouched. Eric, would you like to tell them exactly who we have today on the show? I would. and But before we do, I do want to say, Ward, this is someone who grew up in your area. Is oh, that true? Oh, oh we're going to get into that. Okay. Well, please, uh, everybody sit tight through this intro because there's a lot to get through. We are talking to a gentleman who attended Lewis Cass High School, where he won a sectional title in 1978, where he was All-State for two years and a 1978 Indiana All-Star. We have a Big Ten champion three times over. We have an All-Big Ten first-teamer in 1982 and 1983. We have an All-American National All-American, 1982, 1983. We have the fourth all-time leading free throw percentage shooter at Indiana at 85.7% for a career. 27th all-time scoring. An IU Hall of Famer inducted in 1996 and a national champion in 1981. Please welcome someone who gave us so many joys on the court and then in his post-playing career, was the voice of Indiana for so many of us and the face of Indiana basketball for so many that watched it on television. Please welcome the incomparable Ted Kitchell. (laughs) Wow, that's quite an introduction. Thank you, man. You're welcome. You deserve it. You've worked hard for that introduction. Well, I... uh... I did work hard. I'll, I'll say that. And uh, I was lucky enough to play with a lot of great players and uh, the greatest coach of all time. So uh, just uh, a lot of fortunate, uh, good, good, good things happened to me. Well, uh, before we get into how we got there, tell us what you're doing now. Uh, oh, actually, before we start, I have to ask this. We ask this of people that we have on the show. If there's any potential nicknames for people we talk to, we like to find out right off the top if we can pretend to be your friend and call you by that nickname, does anyone refer to you as Kitch? Yeah, Kitch. most a, a lot of my close friends do. All right. Uh, well, I noticed you said yeah. close friends there, and and so I'm just going to ask: Can we call you <laughs> Kitch? Sure. Yes. That's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. It's, it's better we ask now than towards the end, where you definitely would say no. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, that means we're close friends with Kitch. So, yes. Kitch. Tell us what you're doing right now. Tell us what you're up to in life these days. Um, I, as far as work, I work for uh, a gentleman by the name of Ray Skillman. Uh, Ray Skillman is a huge car dealer in Indianapolis, but uh, he has his own insurance company. So I work in the insurance business. Uh, before that, I had uh, worked for the uh, the Akushnet company, which which the Akushnet company, if you're a golfer, you know, is Titleist and FootJoy. I worked for FootJoy for 27 years. I sold, uh, you know, golf shoes and uh, golf equipment. Lived in Cincinnati for 13 years, and then moved back to Indianapolis, and have uh, been here for about 20 years now. So, uh, but uh, yeah, right now I work for Ray Skillman in his insurance company. Have you been able to keep up your golf game? Uh, yeah, my golf game is pretty good. Um, I am, I'm about a two handicap. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like you're keeping it up pretty well. Well, I, uh, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about four years ago. So, uh, even though, uh, I have that, I have a little bit, you know, if, if you played with me, you would see that I, when I putt, I shake a little bit or, 
certain shots. But other than that, uh, I it, it it doesn't seem to bother me much. So now we're um, aware that you have uh, uh, research going on with Indiana University uh, with the charity that you've put together. Is that something you'd like to tell us about and tell our listeners about where they can go? and donate to such a good cause to benefit uh, research and awareness of Parkinson's? Yeah, it's just uh, you, uh, my daughter, I, I, I don't have the exact uh, stuff in front of me as far as the, the all where you go. But I've got uh, it. You want me to say it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. It's www.myiumyiu.org, O-R-G, forward slash one, uh, you spell out one, O-N-E dash time, T-I-M-E dash gift, G-I-F-T, www.myiu.org forward slash one dash time dash gift. And we will put out a tweet as well with that information as well, so all of our listeners well, can click very, on that. Very nice of you. Yeah, my kids and I kind of got together, my family, uh, I, I've uh, my wife, Christy, uh, and then I have three kids, uh, Scott, 33, Tyler, 31, and Mackenzie, 25. And they wanted to do something last year, so we decided to put on a golf outing. We had no idea how it might work or how, how you know, it would go, and, uh, but we kind of put it together. And I got a lot of my friends. I got uh, Whitman to come. I got Tom Abernathy, Jim Cruz, Joe Hillman, uh, a number of IU guys. I even had a Purdue guy, Jerry Seastein, and his wife came in. That's, uh, that's very noble of you. It, yeah. <laughs> It, it it rained all day, and yet everybody stayed, and they stayed for the dinner afterwards. We had a silent auction, and I was hoping we'd raise maybe fifteen twenty thousand dollars. At the end of the day, we had raised uh, almost forty, and now it's up to almost forty five thousand dollars. So uh, it was a uh, it, it was a really good day, and uh, we all had a lot of fun. Wow. Well, hopefully the Hoosier Hysterics fans can get that number even higher. We would be happy to contribute as well. So. Uh... Uh, we'll again. We'll send out a tweet with the info, and uh, we'll remind you again at the end of it. So, Thank you very much. So let's go back. I uh, I myself am a Miami County boy. You grew really? up, really? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Per- I mean, in Peru, North Miami, Peru, where? Peru. Yeah, I'm the city kid. You know, I'm not one from those country wow. schools in Maconaqua or North Miami. But we uh, we definitely had some uh, matchups against Lewis Cass in my day. There, the Cass County. Uh, boys, how how was it growing up uh, in Cass County playing basketball? I, I heard something about a tool shed. Yeah, it was fantastic. That's funny that you uh, our our tool shed was one of the few places that was back then that uh, you know you could play basketball indoors. So a lot of the high school kids would come come to our house, and uh, I had a cousin who was. Uh, I guess he was about six, six or seven years older than me. And uh, so I'd go watch him play. And a lot of times he'd bring his buddies over. You know, he played on the varsity team. And uh, so, yeah, they would play in the tool shed. And uh, since it was my tool shed, a lot of times they allowed me to play. And even though I was much, much younger, uh, you know, I could play. And they weren't allowed to block my shot. So, <laughs> yes. uh you know, it was, it, was, it was my home court, so there was no blocking the shot. But anyway, it, yeah, I got to play with a lot of the older guys, and I looked up to uh, uh, those guys. Uh, 
and they were they were great players. But there was a lot of good basketball. I mean, obviously, you, you if you grew up in Peru, I mean, my my idol, who I thought was just the greatest player of all time, was Kyle Macy. I I used to love to go watch him play. Used his right hand, his left hand. He was like a coach on the floor. He was such a great player. Um, and I got to know him a little bit afterwards, uh, after our careers were over. But uh, I just always put him on a pedestal. I just thought he was one of the, the fine players and fine men uh, who uh, who played the game. Well, okay, before you just drool all over Kyle Macy, let's right. let's finish the story with him going to Kentucky. Well, yeah, come yeah. on. I was going to say, besides that, yes. besides that. <laughs> well, now, first he went to Purdue, and, you know, he went to Purdue first for his freshman year, and they kind of ran him out of there. So, uh, yeah, and then he had a pretty good, successful career at Kentucky. Well, I mean, what, what was he trying to do? Just upset everyone in Indiana? <laughs> just go to Purdue first and then Kentucky? I mean, did, what, what a path of hatred this guy was was running on uh, coach Knight uh coach Knight I always kind of wondered why he didn't recruit him I think because yeah. being the type of player that he was and a coach on the floor and obviously he played on his Pan Am team in 79 before he got got his jaw busted by one of the uh by one of the opponents but uh yeah coach Knight uh thought very highly of Kyle Macy well, and I'd never really heard that story. Now, obviously, his father was a legendary coach, a high school basketball coach and Hall of Famer. And I was fortunate enough as I was going down to Bloomington that uh, Coach Bob Macy, Kyle's father, actually wrote a letter to Coach Knight on my behalf to become a basketball manager for the team. I was not good enough to be considered <laughs> for the basketball team. And and knowing that there was a mutual respect between Coach Knight and Coach Macy, I was wondering why Kyle didn't end up in Bloomington and in an otherwise wonderful career had to win a title for that team down south. Did you ever did you ever get more detail from Coach Knight as to why? Um, I used to know kind of why. I think, uh, you know, there were like two or three guards. I mean, there was, uh, you know, Seastine was around that time. Obviously, Kyle was around that time. And then a guy named Bob Bender was a guy who came, I think, from Illinois. And he ended up going. He was the guy that ended up going to IU, transferred from IU to Duke. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly why. I mean, I have an interesting story about Bob Macy when I was a junior at Lewis Cass. Uh, I mean, we went from when I was a freshman, five and 16 to as a sophomore, 16 and five. And as a junior, we were 18 and three and two of the three losses were to Bob Macy hmm. from Peru. And so after being 18 and three as a junior, the coach got fired. 18 and three wow. and the coach got, yeah the coach got fired so uh, they brought in a new coach the new coach obviously did a pretty good job uh, I think the closest anybody came to us in the regular season was 13 points we were 20 23 and0 through the sectional we won the first game in the regional and we got beat by uh, Marion at Marion in double overtime oh so uh yeah, we got screwed, but uh, that's just kind of how it works. So. so just taking a quick step back even from that, do you remember when you found the game of basketball, or was it just you're an Indiana kid, you're born with, you know, drooling and basketball, uh, just a uh, part of your life? 
Yeah, I I always tell people that uh, I was kind of like that Farm Bureau insurance kid that was out shooting the basketball by himself. I mean, I would go out in the in the tool shed and uh, I would uh, you know shoot shoot baskets by myself. And uh, I mean, a lot of times it was zero out, and you had a fuel heater that about choked you because it's <laughs> you know you you had, you had it on to keep the the tool shed somewhat warm, but uh, it's blowing out the gas and everything else, and uh, the balls won't hardly bounce because they're so so hard because it's so cold out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just uh, you know I I, I love playing. Uh, you know, I started playing when I was in fifth grade. I started playing uh, you know in games uh, and had a lot of success. I was obviously a big kid, also. Uh, um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I always had a love for it, but I had a love for football, basketball, baseball. I mean, obviously I've grown in now where I love golf, uh, but I, I played all the sports. I mean, when I was uh, a senior in high school, I broke my wrist playing football, my right wrist with five foot games into the season. I got the cast off two weeks before the first game Wow! for the first basketball game. And, uh, you know, we played Winamac first and then we played uh, Bob Macy and the Peru Tigers uh, second. But uh, I had I think I had 41 or 42 points the second game out against Peru. So everything mm. seemed to have he- healed. OK, <laughs> he shook the rust off. Now, were, were you uh, in the MIC? You know, because when I was growing up, it was we were in the CIC and we were always playing Lewis Cass, but I didn't think we were actually ever in the same conference. But it sounds like you were playing Peru twice a year. Well, we played Peru in the regular season, and then we also played the, uh, if you drew them in the sectional. Oh, okay. Because, you know, obviously the sectional had Peru, Logansport, Lewis Cass, Pioneer, North Miami, Kiwana, and Caston. So, um, you know, you'd, you, you'd end up drawing uh, Peru in the sectional. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we played in, in the MIC, but the MIC, Peru was not in the MIC at at, at when I played. Yeah, I don't think uh, we ever were. were. I think maybe later no. even after I graduated we switched out of the CIC. Yeah, we were with Northwestern, Western, Oak Hill, uh trying to think of some of the other teams that were in it, but but yeah, those were some of the teams that I but played you, against in the MIT. But you played in the old Tigerina then. I did play in the old Tigerina, which was it was a great place. Uh, the last time I played there was I was a junior, and I think I had thirty nine points, and we got beat. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm got, sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was about a hundred degrees in the locker room and in the place. I mean, they didn't turn any air conditioning on, or if there was any, but uh, it was a, it, it was a great uh, great facility to play in. And, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Well, I, I only played in it when I was in grade school because by the time I was growing up, it uh, was my grade school, Central, and so we would play on those those courts. And it, it was, you know, I was never good enough in high school to go to the new tag arena, but we got to play in the old one. And a lot of guys would come in, including Coach Macy, and just talk about all the great players who'd come through there. Um, and then uh, we, of course, we were, Logan was our fierce rival when I was oh, yeah. in high school, Ed Schilling was the coach at the time. And oh, uh, wow. 
and and that was it. I think you you had even said at some point in an interview that that sectional championship meant as much to you as anything you did in basketball. And I thought maybe you could talk a little bit more to like what that meant when single class basketball was going on and how big a deal winning a sectional was, at least, you know, in North Central Indiana against your rival high schools. Yeah, you're uh, you're exactly right. I did make that comment and still believe that that was the most important win of my life. Um, there was a... a you know, it's it's small communities, and they took a lot of pride in their basketball and whatever sports you were playing. And uh, I love playing in the single A, even though I mentioned that, yeah, we got beat by Marion at Marion in double overtime. And, yeah, of all the games I've ever played in my life, that's the only game that I felt like kind of really got the short end of the stick because uh, we got some really, really bad calls down the but I would still rather have been in that situation and had a chance to play for a state title rather than, you know, if we would have played in the 2A deal, uh, I mean, like I said, we beat everybody that played 2A. Nobody came within 10 or 12 points of us all year. I mean, I went to IU. My cousin John, who played on the team, went to, uh, went to Purdue, and we had a sophomore on the team uh, by the name of Mark Golden who went to Indiana State. So to be at that size of school and to have a kid go to Indiana, Purdue, and Indiana State, I mean, we, we, we were really good. Uh, I mean, we were really good. And uh, so you know, Lewis Cass had never won a sectional. I mean, it was a consolidation of uh, Galveston, Walton, and Washington Township. And they had never won a sectional. They had been around for 15 years. Uh, and I don't even know if they had ever played in a sectional final. So to to get there and uh, have a chance to play, and we played Peru in the, uh, in the sectional final. And, uh, again, uh, the first game we played that year, I think I had 41 or 42. And in the, uh, in the sectional game, I think I had 44. So uh, we won by, I don't know, we won by like 19. And it was a huge deal. I mean, the whole community, uh, you know, took a lot of enjoyment with it, uh, took a lot of pride with it. And that was the year of the coal strike. So there was a week in between playing at the sectional and then going to the regional. So you had a week, you had to do something. And we got invited to play at Market Square Arena. So that was a big deal also. Uh, you know, Lewis Cass, little dinky school, getting a chance to play. We went uh, Fort Wayne North was rated number one. Ben Davis was rated like number two. Ben Davis had Randy Whitman mm-hmm. on their team. I think they had six guys that went to major major colleges that year. And then we played Bloomington South. And I thought it was interesting that uh, they had like eight thousand fans that showed up at Market Square that night, and I think over six thousand of them were from Lewis Cass. Whoa! So it was it was, it was a big big deal, and uh, uh, it was it was a yeah it was a lot of fun, and it was very very important uh, winning that sectional and kind of getting the monkey off your back and. Uh, Something that I had, you know, dreamed about since I was a young kid. We recently talked to Sharon Wilkerson, who told us that winning uh, the state title uh, at Jeffersonville is something that even to this day, that he's still kind of in that area, that when people come up to him that were alive during that time and remember that time, they still talk about that win, that how much that meant to the community. 
it, it is really what separates Indiana basketball from any other state in the country. That those, and you said it too, they're small communities for the most part, and basketball is a way of life. And when you have that win, it just brings the community together. It's a memory that, that people remember forever. I'm sure you still have some uh, conversations about that sectional win with, with people in your daily life. Uh, no doubt about it. And I never could understand why the IHSAA, um, you know, made the change of going to class basketball. I mean, everybody in the country, you know, talked about Indiana high school basketball. Everybody wanted to be like Indiana high school basketball. The great players that came out of Indiana, the great shooters that came out of Indiana. Everybody wanted to be like Indiana. And what did we do? We changed and ended up being like all the rest of the people. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a sad deal. And and I mean, I mean, who are you kidding? I mean, if you're a one A state title winner, you know, and uh, you know, and if you were to play, say Ben Davis, or you were to play Lawrence North or whoever, and they beat you by forty points, I mean, were you really a state champion? <laughs> I mean, right. come on. I mean, you're you're not a state champion. You're a state champion if you win like Milan did in '54, right? Or uh, you know, like East Chicago did in '71. I mean, all the great teams that came through here. Th- then you're a state champion. You're you're not a state champion because you're a one A or two A. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, everybody. You know, in today's world where they want to hand trophies out to That's everybody. It. You know, pat everybody on the ass and make everybody feel good. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But we, we uh, are with you. I, I agree. We we are in the era of participation awards, and that's what everybody exactly. has gone to. Well, and and what was you know lost in that too is how much a sectional championship meant or regional championship meant that a lot of times those little schools, yeah, it was a real long shot to be the next Milan, but man, beating Logan Sport in Logan Sport. For you know a sectional game, it was See, that's exhilarating. Right. It was a See, thrill. You got that right. See, I can feel it in your voice. Yes. You're exactly right because oh. I've been waiting all my life to have that that chance. And since the time I was a young kid and would go to the sectional, you know, I remember going to the sectional at Lewis Cass when they were building the new Berry Bowl. They going to Lewis Cass had the sectional for like two or three years, and Kyle Macy was like a sophomore or whatever. I mean, I had to sit all by myself because it was sold out. There was no tickets for anybody. You know, I'm sitting there watching Kyle Macy play against, uh, you know, uh, you know Logan Sport or whoever it might be. I mean, when I was when I was a young kid, I watched uh, uh, John Garrett play yeah. against Dave Borman. Dave Borman was a great player from Pioneer. Garrett was obviously a great player at Peru. I mean, those are the things you know that I grew up watching. And I grew up dreaming about being like one of those guys, you know, and, and winning a state championship and, and having a chance to put on those sweats and, and warm up and all that kind of stuff. I mean, th- those are all the things that I dreamed about when I was in the tool shed all by myself, you know, shooting a basketball. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, uh, a lot of those dreams came true. Well, let's get into a little bit of, of some of those dreams starting to come true later in your basketball career, too. You really became, you came into your own as a basketball player at the same time that something special was going on in Bloomington, Indiana. In the early 70s, there was a coaching change. In comes this young 
just bombastic personality from West Point. He quickly turns the program around after really Indiana did not have success for quite some time, even with some incredible players, but no real team success. And then in the 70s, things start to turn around. You're, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, around this time. What was your uh, memory of, or what is your memory of what Indiana basketball and your impression of Bob Knight at that time? What was that? Um, well, I mean, growing up, I grew up about 45 minutes from Purdue. So I probably watched Purdue play more than IU. We could we could and, smell it from where we grew yeah, up, Ted. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you got that right. So I mean, I grew up watching Rick Mount play and Billy Keller and a lot of those guys, and went to a few games at Purdue. And uh, I mean, I'd watch IU on TV. Obviously, IU was having more success. I mean, and then watched them win the national championship in '76. Um. So, um, I mean, I didn't really think about it. I was focused on what I was doing. I mean, I was a farm kid who, you know, you know, during the summers and stuff, I wasn't out really playing in AAU basketball. That that kind of stuff wasn't really around. I was, I was on a tractor and I was cultivating and I was doing all the things that a farm kid did. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was not that focused on Indiana basketball at the time. Uh, obviously, I was aware. Uh, I remember listening to the game when Downing got when Downing fouled out, uh, got a really bad call. A bad call, uh, you know, Bill Walton. Yeah, Bill Walton ran ran him over and uh, really made the difference between Indiana probably winning that basketball game and UCLA not winning. Uh, but uh, obviously, Coach Knight was having a lot of success. He was getting a lot of the great players out of Indiana. And so when I was a senior and all of a sudden uh, I'm sitting in algebra class and my coach comes to the door and says, hey, Bob Knight's on the phone. He wondered if it would be okay if he came to your house tonight. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you're like, you know, of course, what, what, of course, tell the coach, you know, he had, he had come, he had come to the Peru game, the second game of the season. And he had watched me play. Like I said, I had like forty-one, and we we beat beat Peru. So then he had yeah, called. And yeah, yeah, we get it, Ted. We get it. You beat Peru in front we of beat Coach the Knight. Peru, the Peru Tigers. I do like and, that. Uh, every time you bring up Peru, you mention you beat him. I like that. And then he scored forty-one yeah. points. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he uh, he came up and visited with us, and uh, we had a great visit. And uh, I pretty much knew from the time that he set foot in our house and showed interest in me that that was probably the place I was going to go. I mean, I was being really heavily recruited by Arkansas. Uh, Eddie Sutton was somebody that I thought the world of and really liked him a lot. Uh, I know that he had some struggles in his life uh, later, but I, they flew me down there and I sat on the 20 yard line about 20 or no, on the 50 yard line, about 20 rows up. And I watched Texas play Arkansas. Earl Campbell was a senior. Whoa. And uh, yeah. And Texas won 13 to nine. And I saw Steve Smith for Arkansas kick a 67 yard field goal that day. So I had a great time, but that's when they had Moncrief, Delph and Brewer, the triplets. Wow. And so I sat and watched them in practice. And I mean, uh, Eddie Sutton was the head coach, and his number one assistant was Gene Cady. Wow. So, so I got to know Coach Cady really well because uh, if I hadn't went to IU, I'd have definitely went to Arkansas. 
That's how much I thought of Coach Sutton and Katie and uh, the whole crew down there. I just really, and I know Whitman felt the same way because that was kind of his second choice next to IU also. So, uh, what do you remember? What do you remember from that visit with Coach Knight at your house? Do you remember specific things he said? Do you remember what his? I do. Okay, I do. Give us something. Um, We we just love this. the funny thing about it was, you know, anytime, you know, I mean, about once or twice a week, I would have somebody come in, you know, whether it be from Wake Forest or Purdue or Butler or whoever would come and they would talk to you and they're recruiting, you know. And so my coach would ask questions and my dad would ask questions. And when Knight was there, nobody said anything. <laughs> they're, all, they're all scared to death. You know, my dad is a six foot four guy big strong he he's uh he's farmed for about 50 years and he almost shaved his mustache off because he knew that coach knight didn't allow any facial hair and he didn't want to have anything you know but but i'm just trying to give you an idea of how you know everybody was very tense you know the whole deal his reputation preceded him oh yeah so it was it was kind of funny but anyway they weren't asking any questions and and but the one thing that Coach, I remember Coach Knight, he told a lot of stories about his players and things like that. But the one thing he says is, I can promise you a couple things. I can promise you that you'll get an education. Whether you want to or not, you will go to class and you will get an education. Nice. And I'll promise you that I can make you the best basketball player that you can possibly be. He says, that might not be good enough for you to ever get on the floor and be a consistent starter or player for our team, but he says, I will make you the best player that you can possibly be um, no matter what. So those were basically the only two things. He didn't promise me play in time and he didn't you know, tell me how great I was and everything else. I mean, he pr- gave me those two promises. You know, if you work hard, I'll make you the best that you can possibly be and that you will get an education. And uh, he stayed at our house till about one in the morning, and he had a two and a half hour drive back to Bloomington that night. Wow. So uh, he got probably got back around quarter to four in the morning. So we heard he doesn't sleep. So right. it, that was probably not a big deal. Did he come by himself, or did he have anybody with him? He came by himself. Wow. Huh. Uh, and so then did you call the press conference for your commitment ceremony at the tool shed? Did you have the Arkansas hat lined up and the Indiana hat lined up and ESPN came and covered it? Now see, that's funny because you, you obviously, you know, back in the day it was, you know, I, I called coach and they were, I don't know, you know, you guys are younger, but they they were in a snowstorm in Michigan and they were, uh, because, you know, in 78 is when we had the huge blizzard. And that's when I called. And they were in a, uh, I think they had to stay over in Michigan three or four days. And anyway, I called him and told him that I was going to attend IU. And he said, do me a favor. He said, he said call Hamill, you know, Bob Hamill, and sure. tell him and let him know. And if he has any questions for you, you know, whatever. And then he said, whatever other two or three schools that you were interested in, he said, call them and let them know. Wow. So, so I called coach Sutton 
And Coach Sutton said, uh, Ted, he said, you know, Coach Knight's a good friend of mine. Uh, that's a great choice. He says, you'll be a great player there. He'll make you a great player. You'll play for a lot of championships. Um, he says, if there's ever a problem and you have a problem, uh, he says, there, there will always be a there will always be a scholarship at Arkansas for you. Wow. So he was as nice as can be. I called Fred Schaus at Purdue. And he was just nice as can be and talking. And I said, Coach, I, I've decided I'm going to attend IU. And uh, he basically said thanks and hung up. He didn't say anything. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say anything more uh, or less. He, he, you know, so there was two different. Obviously, I thought the world of Eddie Sutton and still do. And Chaus, I could could care less about. You know, he just yeah. uh, he. Just, he didn't have anything good to say. So, uh, but that's kind of how it worked. So now the farm kid from Lewis Cass High School heads to Bloomington. What is the adjustment like for you going from what your life was uh, up until this point to now being on this massive campus surrounded by just tens of thousands of people? Uh, was there an adjustment period for you uh, when you got there? Well, there's obviously an adjustment period. Uh, that summer, I played on the Indian All-Stars and got to be uh, really good friends with uh, Whitman. Uh, he and I were very similar as far as things we liked, uh, things we liked to do. We were sports nuts. We watched sports on TV, all the kind of stuff, and got to be good friends. Uh, the three, uh, There were a couple of us that got to be good friends. Uh, Whitman, myself, Jackie Moore, who played at uh, Muncie Central, and, uh, you know, went on to play at Nebraska. And then Greg Jones was a good friend of ours, too, played at Plainfield. And then he went to Oklahoma and played basketball. But, uh, you know, also Landon was on that t- team. So we were friends with Landon. Right. But that was important to go to IU. I wasn't all by myself. You know, all of a sudden I had Whitman. That, you know, we hung out all the time. We had all the same classes. We, you know, did everything. But as far as basketball, huge change. I mean, things were so much faster. You know, in high school, it was a matter, you know, we joke about, okay, I scored 41 here, I scored 44 here, I did this, I did that. You know, it was a matter of how many points you're going to score tonight in high school. When I got there, you go out to the hyper and you're playing with the guys and you're playing and you're thinking, damn, this is good. I don't know if I can score at all. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can get a shot off, let alone, you know, think about scoring points here. So I've. I soon got it in my mind that the most important thing for me to do was to get the guys open who, who could play. So I found myself looking for Mike Woodson, uh, you know, looking for different guys on the team who, who were the, you know, Mike, Mike Woodson was the best player on the team. So if I screened and got him open, he was going to score and he was going to be happy that he had this guy on his team that was willing to get him open, you know? Right. So I started uh, doing things basically like that, not looking to score points myself, but to get other people open, to block out, to rebound, to do all the little things that I needed to do to give myself a chance. Um, but yeah, it was a huge adjustment. I mean, the work, the workouts were a lot harder. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, before the year getting in shape i mean we'd run to the golf course we'd have to run a half a mile on the on the cross country trail you know and run back by you then play for two hours and i mean it was just yeah it was uh 
you know, it was a big adjustment playing uh, with, with with that group of people. It was CrossFit before CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> so your freshman year starts, uh, and then you kind of run into your first major obstacle uh, in your basketball career with an injury, correct? Yes. I, uh, I started playing started practicing and actually I was having a lot of success. I was, uh, I was getting to play with the first, first team a lot. And again, I mean, basically I was not looking to score. I was looking to get Woody open. Uh, um, you know, Ray Tolbert played a lot, uh, you know, whoever it might be, uh, you know, I was just looking to, to get them and then, you know, re get some offensive rebounds, you know, play D and, you know, whatever. So I was having a lot of success and all of a sudden I just kind of hit a wall and I, 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 you know, I had, I had a hair terrible, uh, I thought I had like a hip pointer or something cause I was getting tremendous pain, like down my buttocks and in my hip. And, uh, so I, I kept trying to play and I noticed like the right, my right tennis shoe wearing it, wearing the toe out of it cause I'm dragging my foot all the time, you know, and it's really hard to play on one leg. And finally they brought a neurosurgeon and, a uh, gentleman by the name of Hank Foyer, Henry Foyer from uh, Methodist. And it took him about, you know, two minutes to figure out that I had a ruptured disc. He said, you've got a major disc problem. And, uh, you know, I'd never been hurt in my life uh, other than I broke my arm. But, you know, that, that was no big deal. They put a cast on it and you move on. I mean, right. Um, but uh, now all of a sudden you got a major problem. So they put me in traction for a while, hoping that it was just uh you know, bulging. But after a while they figured out, uh, they finally did a procedure and found out that it, it was ruptured. So it was ruptured. You're going to have to go in and fix it. So, uh, in, uh, I think it was January or February of that year, I went in and had a major back operation. Now, while you are starting to deal with it and going through all of this, the team also has some serious drama with five players uh, getting in hot water for using marijuana. What did, <laughs> what did that, you know, you're showing up now and, and Coach Knight and has this reputation and, and now all of a sudden people are being kicked off the team and put on probation. Uh, what... it, was a, it was a nightmare. I mean, I had, not, I had not went to Alaska on that trip because I had the back operation, so I had stayed back home. And while they, while they were in Alaska, I guess, uh, some of them had, I don't know if they had bought marijuana from somebody or whatever, but they, uh, you know, I don't know, they were smoking. I, I don't know anything about that because that life, because I never did that kind of stuff. So, but anyway, they got back and it was just a nightmare. And so then somebody ended up telling night about it. And then we had a couple of team meetings where it was just a team, and then night he brought us all into the locker room and it was like, uh, you know, judge and jury. I mean, he was the judge and we're all sitting around. And so, I mean, he, he went around basically to each guy and wanted to know if they had ever not in the last couple of weeks or not in Alaska or not this year, but had you ever smoked marijuana? And so as he went around the room, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're back in the 70s, you right. know. I mean, the only ones that had never smoked it at, at that time, basically, was myself, Whitman, and I think Glenn Grunwald. 
everybody else at some point in time. Now they, they, they might've done it in high school or they might, but anyway, um, so it was an absolute nightmare. I mean, I remember he got the three of us together and said, now boys, he said, if you want to, he said, we can just get rid of everybody. Wow. And you know, and you know, I mean, I'm in a back operation. I can't even play. Whitman's a freshman. Gunner, Glenn Grunwald, he's, you know, I mean, he's had knee operations. He's had all kinds of knee operations. And so, yeah, it was a nightmare. And he finally says, uh, um, he finally kind of pulled it. He, he kicked like three guys off the team, two or three guys off the team. Uh, three guys, I guess it, it was. was uh, yeah. I have it as Tommy Baker, Don Cox, and Jim Robertson. Yeah, Robertson. Robertson. And uh, uh, yeah, those were the three guys that kind of got let go. And then everybody else was put on double probation, basically. Right. Five and, others, they, right? They, Tolbert, they, Woodson, yeah. Kirchner, Eisenberger. Yeah, and all the yeah, and and Everybody. they and they and that wasn't necessarily to do with they had just smoked some dope a few days ago, like in Alaska. It was any time in their ever. life, okay? If they had ever done it. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, they had to they had to call their parents, and their parents had to drive down to Bloomington, and they had to sit the coach night and their parents and tell about when they did this and and <laughs> this and that. I mean, it was nightmarish. I mean, Ray Tolbert, who's as fine a man as there is, as far as a godly Christian man and everything, you know, his mother was like a preacher. I mean, I oh, when he, he he ran out of the locker room, I remember, and I'm thinking, somebody needs to get a hold of him. I mean, he's 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 unstable, right? That he's going to have to do this, you know? But it was it was a nightmare. We didn't practice all week, and and who were we playing on that Saturday? Kentucky, number oh. one team in the country. Kyle Macy. Kyle oh no, Macy the Peru guy's coming. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one team in the country. We're playing. Oh. We didn't practice all week. We had a walkthrough the day before, and we went out, and that and Mike Woodson and Whitman and that group. We beat Kentucky the number one team in the country after that week of going through hell. So yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, uh, quite an ordeal. The, the parallel with, uh, the, the Butler game. Is that what you were going to oh, draw? Eric? No, I wasn't. Oh, I wasn't. Well, we, we, we've talked to a couple of the players, um, you know, around from the team that, that lost to Butler only to go and beat Kentucky, uh, number one in the country the following week in the Hoosier dome led by Damon Bailey, but they, they all talk about the week before that Kentucky game was an absolute nightmare. It was like the worst week they'd ever experienced as a basketball player. So there's a theme. Like if you're going through a hellacious week with coach Knight before Kentucky comes to town as the number one team, you, you may be in the best shape possible. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, the one thing you figure out real quickly, if you're playing for coach Knight and and for him at, at IU at that point in time is uh, losing is no fun. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, uh, it it's not so much that I love to win, but I hate to lose. And if I lose, I'm going to have to go through hell. And so I'm going to do everything and everything possible to uh, try to get that victory. Now I have to ask you this because we're with you on what you said earlier about Coach Knight being the greatest coach in the in the history of the game. However, when you're in the middle of this just insanity of him interrogating these 
your your teammates on have they ever done it in their life and and just in the middle of this crazy inquisition uh, aren't you thinking to yourself this man is a lunatic i mean is there's <laughs> got to be part of you that just goes i know he's a basketball genius but this is lunacy what did i get myself into well I, you know, I never really thought about it that much. I just dealt with it. Uh, and I think it was because we had such great teammates and your teammates would kind of gather you in. I mean, if you had a hard or if you had a bad day of practice where things didn't go well for you and he was on your ass all day, um, you know, somebody would come over, Woody or, uh, you know, whoever, Eisenberger or Gunner or whoever it might be might come over and, uh, you know, just kind of say, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's all right, you know, but yeah, there were times when, uh, you thought he was a little crazy, you know, and some of the stuff, some of the stuff that he probably made you do, but, uh, um, you know, I never, ever thought that, Hey, I got to get out of here. Wow. Never did I think that, Hey, I, 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 I got to transfer. I got to go someplace else. I got to get the hell out of here. Never. Because I I was in it for the long run, and, and if you hung out with him for a long time, you you he would usually figure a way to get you to a Big Ten championship, a national championship, whatever it might be. And uh, I just think he's the uh, the greatest coach of all time. Well, that was certainly the case with with your team and many others. Uh, a guy's name that has never come up on our podcast, and also a guy who was on your team that was not part of the group that got. Uh, kicked off or on probation and a really good player for Indiana was Butch Carter. Yeah. What can you tell us about Butch? He, he is not a guy who he's kind of a forgotten guy in the history of Indiana basketball, not talked about much. Uh, what can you tell us about Butch? Um, great athlete. Um, really, you know, good player. I mean, he hit the shot against Purdue in the NIT final. Right. Um, sometimes maybe too smart for his own good. Um, probably the reason um, he doesn't get talked about a lot is I don't think he was very well liked by a lot of the players. And uh, I mean, that didn't mean that we didn't respect him. He was a good player. He was a great player. I mean, you know, he was, he was an all-state tight end. He could have went to... Ohio State and played for Woody Hayes, uh, you know, and uh, and there was no love. Law. There's not a lot of love between him and Coach Knight, right? From what I have read, no, uh, I don't think there's any love lost there, or uh, um, in, any of the other players like Woody and some of those guys that played you know at the same time as him. Uh, they don't really care for him either. Plus, he's got some, uh, you know, baggage that he carried around. You know, he was like the bag man for, uh, you know, he was the one moving money around for California when uh, Jason Kidd right. in California got caught. He was the bag man, I think. Uh, he always had some sketchy stuff going on. Um, uh, but he was a, you know, he was a very good player. And uh, he was a hard-nosed player, and Coach was tough on him. But uh, I think that's probably why you don't hear a lot about him, um, just because uh, there, there was, some of the players did, did, did not like him at all. And then on the other side of it, uh, a guy who is talked about and, and I think beloved is Mike Woodson. 
Um, yes. What can you tell us about Mike and what it was like playing with him? Um, I think the last two years that he played, he was the best player in college basketball. Um, you know, he played on that Pan Am team in 1979, and I think he was the best player on that team. And you look at that team, and they had a lot of great, great players on that team. But I think at that point in time, he was playing at the highest level between his junior and senior year that summer. He played so great. You know, and he started off his senior year uh, playing great. And then, uh, you know, we were really, really good that year. Uh, that was the year that Carter did not go to the Olympics that year. And Russia had won the Olympics in 1980. And uh, we, the Russians, the Olympic team came to play us. And Isaiah was a freshman. Woody was a senior. Butch was a senior. Whitman was, you know, like a sophomore. Bushy, Bushy was a sophomore playing really, really good. Uh, Isaiah's jersey uh, was on Sports Illustrated, and they put number one in the world because we beat the Russians by like 20. And that was the team that had won the Olympic gold medal. And, uh, I mean, we, that was the best team I ever played on. You know, and I think if you look at a couple of coach Knight's teams, the 1980 team was the best team I ever played on yet. We didn't win the national championship until 1981 and his 75 team was better than his 76 team. And they didn't win a national championship either, but the 76 team did. So sometimes people forget about that, but we, we were just such a great team. Well, then Whitman broke his ankle and he had to red shirt. Woody ended up having a ruptured disc. He had to have the back operation. Then he came back at the end of the season and led us to a Big Ten championship. But then we ended up getting beat by Purdue in the, uh, I think, uh, in the regionals uh, by Joe Barry Carroll and that group. They went to the Final Four that year. And uh, But that was the best team I ever played on. I mean, that team was could score points. They could defend. Uh, and you had guys like me coming off the bench and Landon coming off the bench. Risley was coming off the bench. Uh, Butch basically came off the bench because Whitman and Isaiah started. Uh, Bushy was playing at his highest level. Steve Bushy, kind of a forgotten name, but when he came to IU as a freshman, was as good a player as there was. I mean, he was a great, great player. So we were really, really talented and a really good team. So let's take a step back to, well, let, you finish up your, your freshman year. You know, you were injured, but you guys did win the NIT uh, and, and, you know, beating Purdue in that championship had to uh, feel good. If you weren't going to make the NCAA, like why not win the NIT against Purdue? But then it's time to, to start the next season. Uh, you're you're going to be back playing again. But, but also there's this kid that shows up from Chicago, Isaiah Thomas, what did you know about him coming into the season, and what was the reality when he showed up at practice and started playing with you guys? Uh, didn't really, you know, I mean, back then you didn't have the ESPNs and you didn't have all the hype other than we had heard about what a great player he was, and uh, he had been on campus, obviously, a couple times during his recruiting. Um, I mean, he was from a totally different world than I was from. I mean, here I was a farm kid from Galveston, Indiana. I mean, he's from the south side of Chicago from gangs and all the different stuff that went on in his life, you know. So it was, uh, but uh, what a great player. I mean, from the first time we ever played with him. I mean, he had such a rhythm on the on the court and he was such a great leader and he talked and and he could do anything with the basketball. I mean, handling the basketball, he could he could score about you know he could score whenever he needed to score, and uh, so he was just such a great player. 
Um, so it didn't take long watching him in practice to figure out uh, what a great player was. The thing that he was going to have to figure out was taking care of the basketball. If you're going to play for Coach Knight, uh, you know, all the fancy stuff's fine as long as you're taking care of the basketball. And all of a sudden, you know, Isaiah was scoring points and we were winning games, but he had six turnovers and seven turnovers and five turnovers and nine turnovers. And that just wasn't going to work with Coach Knight's, <laughs> Coach Knight's uh, uh, you know, offense, uh, his way of playing playing the game. I mean, you just – if you're the point guard, you just – you got to take care of the basketball. It was kind of funny. When Isaiah first came, you know, Coach Knight kind of handled him with, with kid gloves, you know, and, you know, he was always positive and kind of patting him on the ass. And, this, and finally, after about two or three weeks, you know, one day he just freaking lost it, you know. <laughs> And from that point on, it was like, Zeke, you're just one of the boys now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just one of the guys. So uh, he got yelled at as much or more than anybody else. And uh, But he was such a great player. I mean, uh, I mean, I think he's the greatest point guard of all time. You know, when people compare Paul and people like that to him, I say, come on, really? <laughs> I mean, he took Indiana to a national championship. He took Detroit Pistons, a pretty average team. I mean, you look at some of the guys, Bill Lambeer, Dennis Rodman was a nobody. I mean, you know, he took them to two world championships, you know. I mean, he's the greatest point guard of all time. Before we uh, get a little more into the team success uh, that, that happened that year and then, of course, the year after, uh, I want to just take a, a pause for a second. There, there's a fan of the uh, podcast who's become a friend of ours, John Schweisberger, who huge Indiana fan. And he has been in my ear about the 1979-80 team specifically, about how he says it is the most successful collection of players ever. And just to run through some of the accomplishments because uh, I want to get your opinion on something that we've heard from several people, which is the people that Coach Knight recruited are special people beyond just playing basketball, that he recruited smart, conscientious people who were going to be set up for success after the game, too. But just to run through this real quick, of course, we have Isaiah, who, besides being one of the 50 best players of all time in the NBA and perhaps the best point guard of all time, went on to be a head coach, a GM, owned the CBA. You did have Butch Carter on that team who played, you know, an NBA career and then had some commentating career as well as a personality on ESPN. You have Mike Woodson, who played a dozen or so years in the NBA, then went on to a successful coaching career and is still a coach in the NBA. You have Randy Whitman, same thing, great NBA career, then went on to successful coaching career. You have Glenn Grunwald, law degree from Northwestern. He's been the GM of three different NBA teams. You have Eric Kirchner, CEO of a New York stock exchange company. Phil Eisenbarger, senior partner at an indie law firm. And, of course, Ted Kitchell and everything that you've done in your life. That is a remarkable collection of success after a basketball career. Have you ever thought about that and, and what all your teammates became after uh, you played together at Indiana? Well, I, I, you know, you don't think about it much other than you always thought that you needed to uh, work hard to be as successful as everybody that were, were your friends. You know, right. I mean, obviously uh, Whitman is my best friend and, 
uh, watched him play, and then I watched him coach, and he did an outstanding job. I mean, as the Wizards coach, uh, his his last head coaching job, he did a phenomenal job with that team, and then kind of got let go because they thought they were going to try to get Kevin Durant, so they hired the, the old Oklahoma City coach. But, uh, yeah, Whitman was successful. But all those guys were, uh, yeah, um, um, very successful. Uh, they're just good people. They're from, uh, you know, uh, most mostly really good families, um, and they have families of their own now, and we're all really still pretty tight. And you know, I don't see Isaiah a lot, but uh, you know, I mean, he might call me out of the middle of nowhere and say, "Hey, we need to go visit Coach Knight and see how Coach is doing." And uh, you know, the other day, Aber called me, Tom Abernathy, and myself, and Jim Cruz, and Phil Eisenberger. We went to Bloomington and uh, Coach Knight and Karen were there and we visited with them for about two or three hours and just to check in on Coach and see how he's doing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, I mean, that's just not something that I say when I say, oh, you know, I got lucky because I played with a lot of great players and a great coach. I, I did play with great players, great people. They were great people in the locker room. They're still my friends today. And feel very, very fortunate that I had that wonderful opportunity to play for coach during those years. To, to spend just another minute on what you just said, what was that like getting together with all those guys and going to see Coach Knight in Bloomington recently? What, can you put us in that room for a minute and your mindset as you kind of look around and see all these guys you've been close with all these years and the coach who brought you together? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's great to see the coach. Um, and, uh, you know, how he's doing and getting along and stuff. Uh, he likes to, uh, he likes to kind of laugh and, uh, say, boy, we, we had a lot of, we had a lot of success. We won a lot of games, won a lot of championships. You know, I mean, when you think about what he was doing in the mid seventies and through the mid eighties, I mean, he was winning the big 10 championship three out of every four years. I mean, he, he was winning it all the time. I mean, he was going, he was competing for national championships, you know, I mean, obviously he won three, but like I said, two of his greatest teams, the 75 team and the 80 team were, you know, we were teams that should have won the national championship and didn't because of injuries and things like that. But, uh, by the way, you could throw yeah, in the 92, 93 teams in there too. When you think yeah, about exactly, the final four exactly. team against Duke and then the Allen Henderson injury. Sure. They, uh, so he likes to talk about uh, the successes, and he also likes to talk about that we did it the right way. You know, we didn't uh, we didn't go out there and we didn't have people paying paying people. You know, uh, he he did it the right way. Uh, he didn't cheat. Uh, he didn't he didn't do things. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't have uh, Sam Gilbert taking care of. T- taking care of all his players and uh, winning national championships and saying that he didn't know anything about that or Calipari the way he does things today. Or, uh, or Butch Carter bringing a bag of money to Jason Kidd, something exactly. like that. I mean, I, 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 I tell all the people in Kentucky today, I said, can you imagine how many national championships you'd had if you, if you had Bob Knight as your coach? <laughs> I said, hell, you, I said, you would never lose. I said, instead, you got Calipari down there i said he's a hell of a recruiter he doesn't know what the hell to do after that you know (laughs) so um the uh you know he was uh he he, he's great to visit with he's uh he loves he loves his guys 
you know, the, I mean, we are totally a family and he loves, he loves those guys that played for him and everything that you put up. He, he knew that he was not easy to deal with and he, he demanded a lot. He expected a lot, and uh, that's why we had the success that we had. Well, we do like to ask guests here to give us a little, maybe unusual insight on what made him such a great coach. What is an aspect of his approach to the game that maybe isn't talked about or widely understood that maybe you could share with us to just it feels there's so many layers and levels to his brilliance. We're always trying to find out a little bit more of what made him tick and so successful. Um, a couple of the things that I would say is that first and foremost, I would say preparation. I mean, his preparation, I never walked on the court and felt that I wasn't prepared totally. I knew every out of bounds play they was going to run. I knew everything individually about that guy that I was guarding. Uh, I knew if he wanted to turn left shoulder, right shoulder, I mean, I had a notebook that I wrote in daily where I took all these notes down and I made sure that I was going over them before, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't before a game, you know, an hour before the game, I wasn't sitting in there with headphones on listening to a bunch of music. I was sitting there looking at my notebook, going over all the notes I had taken that week as I was preparing to get to get ready to play this game. Also, I think that he could break your game down into uh, small pieces where get you to understand. I mean, he worked so hard with me as far as, you know, my talents where I was a great shooter. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't real gifted jumping or my foot quickness and things like that. So he worked a lot with me shot faking. You know, he says, he says, you know, he says, if I can get you to the free throw line, 10 or 12 times a game he said that's 10 or 12 points that we're going to score because you're going to you're going to make most all of them so he worked with me on shot faking and getting to the free throw line you know i mean if i could make 10 free throws a game and then i could score five baskets a game i mean that's 20 points a game so uh you know he would break certain people's your your game down you know and and so it wasn't up to me to try to go one-on-one with people but come off screen shot fake you know, hit hit the shots that were available to me. Shot they get people up in the air, go to the free throw line, score from the free throw line, uh, do things like that. Which uh, you know, I don't think other coaches break break people's games down like he did. So now let's get to 1980-81. You uh, and your career progression takes a pretty big step forward here. In 79-80, I think you played around just under 10 minutes a game. In 1980-81, you are now up to about 22 minutes a game. And the year starts in an interesting way. The first two games of the year against Ball State and Murray State, two you know, teams on the schedule that I'm sure people are thinking these are, these are wins for Indiana, uh, not world beaters. But you score two points and zero points in those two games in preparation to, again, of course, play Kentucky, who is ranked number two in the country. You're playing them in Bloomington. And you have... At this point in your career, one of your best games to this point. Do you remember that game being one of your best games at that point, or is it just another game in your memory? No, it was. I had a very big game. I uh, played very well. I came off the bench. I mean, it was a great. It was a great Kentucky team. I mean, they had Bowie and uh, Turpin, and Minifield was at the point guard, and they had Hurt and Horde. Uh, they were really good. They were all out of Peru players, though. <laughs> They were they were uh, 
probably the best paid team in college. <laughs> anyway, they uh, they were a great team, and uh, I got put in the game. And you know, you I I just had not been playing that. I mean, I didn't get a chance to play. I I'd, I'd been playing very well in practice. Though. I'd been scoring a lot of points. Uh, you know, things just kind of start clicking and coming together. And I went in that game. It was a tight game. I mean, it's back and forth. I, you know, back and forth. And uh, you know, I hit I, I hit a few shots. I think I think I ended up scoring like twelve points. You did twelve and, points, five uh, rebounds. Yeah, I uh, I had a really big game, and uh, but the most disappointing thing was we lost. Right. Um, I mean, Isaiah threw a lob pass to Ray late in the game. Ray went up, caught it, dunked it, and for some reason he thought he had dunked it, but it hit the rim and bounced off, and uh, we end up losing, I think, by two. Yep. And that of all the games that I played in, that was the one game he would never let you forget. You know, because that was a game we should have won, and and obviously, you know, he he had a you know dislike for Kentucky. I mean, people used to think that the Purdue IU was a big deal. I mean, I think it was bigger Purdue or IU versus Kentucky because in in the IU versus Kentucky, it was our program the way we did things versus their program and the way they did things. Right, and good, that was good versus evil. That was, yeah, that was very important to coach. So, uh, yeah, very disappointing that we lost that game. Um, I mean, the only thing I – the next thing I remember was I think we played the Indiana Classic and we played maybe uh, – oh, it was a California team. Cal, uh, maybe it was Cal. We, we might might have played California. And so coach said – he started Bushy and he said, you guys are going to play – five minutes he's gonna play five minutes and then you're gonna play five minutes then he'll play five minutes and you'll play five minutes so that was the game plan the bushy gets in foul trouble he gets like three fouls and so i go in the game and so we blow california out and i score like 22 points in like 17 minutes (laughs) nice you know something like that and so wow you know out of nowhere i'm like whoa what a big night, you know? Yeah. So the next night, next night I start and we play against Baylor and they had Terry Teague, who was a really good player. And I think I scored 17 points. And so all of a sudden I'm starting to kind of put, put my game together where I'm scoring points. And so I'm another guy that the other teams kind of have to look out for. Cause I'm starting to score. I end up making the all tournament team and, uh, you know, life's pretty good. Things are going great. And uh, so from that point on, I started every game the rest of my career. Well, I have to ask Kitch, because we often hear from players who talk about, and you talked about how hard the game was when you first got to Bloomington back in 78, and just wondering if you could score off these guys. The speed of the game has increased. We often hear that there's a moment or a time period where the game slows down for for a player. Was this that run for you where where the game just started to get more comfortable for you at the college level? Yes. No 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 doubt about it. That that's that's a perfect uh example of what you're talking about because you know when you would when you would get in the game before that, I mean you run up and down the floor and you and there's so much adrenaline running through you. You run up and down the, about two or three times, and then all of a sudden you're just like you're worn out. You're thinking, "What the hell's going on?" You know, I'm just dead <laughs> tired. 
you know, where then you finally get into the flow of the game and you're concentrating on the game more than just, oh, I'm in the game, you know. I mean, you're thinking about what I need to do to get this guy open. Uh, okay, this shot's going to be available. They're running a zone against us. One, three, one corners are going to be open. You know what? So you kind of start assessing what's going on and uh, what, what needs to be done. So, yeah, uh, all of a sudden things kind of slowed down. I started playing much better. And, uh, and like I said, from that point on, uh, I was in the starting lineup and, uh, started the uh, rest of my career. And this, this is, I think something that's forgotten about the 80, 81 team, because it's you and Isaiah Thomas and Landon Turner and, and Ray Tolbert, and Whitman, uh, uh, Whitman, you know, that, that, that front of the rotation is, is revered and spoke of, but there was 10 players on this team that got drafted into the NBA. You're talking about Glenn Grunwald and Steve Risley and Bushi and Tony Brown and Jim Thomas. It, it, it was such a, a loaded team, and I feel like as as time goes by and you have, oh, one of the greatest players ever on that team and some other legends and guys who went on to great success in other aspects, that it's it's almost forgotten how loaded that team really was and how exceptional it was for you to find yourself in the starting lineup, and yet you guys really started off off rough, you know, and <laughs> and, and being at like seven and five, and uh, you ten know, and seven, ten by and Jan- seven. January twenty second. What what allowed you guys with all this talent to finally click and and turn the season around into what would become one of the great postseason runs of all time? Well, there were a number of things, like you said. I mean, we went to Kansas. I mean, we had lost at Notre Dame that year. And, the, and Notre Dame was really good. They had Orlando Woolridge and I think maybe Trapuca and Jackson and, and you know, the little point guard uh, from Dayton, uh, Paxson. And so they were really good. But, uh, you know, in that game, I think Landon scored like, I don't know, 21 or 22 points. Uh, you know, and he was like two of seven from the free throw line or something. He was terrible, but, but he, but he could really play. I mean, it's against a really good team. And then the next game you come out against California and he might have two points and one rebound. So his game was, game was like that up, like it goes up and down, up and down. Finally night just, Hey, that's it. You know, if you don't want to concentrate and come out and play every night, I'm I'm not going to play you. I'm done with you. And so he basically stuck landing on the bench and, and wouldn't play him. So, you know, we go to Kansas State, and we win a tough game there at Kansas State against Jack Hartman's team. Uh, always enjoyed playing against them. They had great players. And uh, and and then we went to Hawaii, and that was just an absolute nightmare. I mean, I think we beat Rutgers uh, maybe by five, and then we got beat. And then we played Texas Pan American, and I forget the guy's name, but he just lit Ray up, and they beat us, and... Now, all of a sudden, it's 2 in the morning, Hawaii time. We're on a plane flying back to Bloomington. Uh, nightmarish. I mean, we're, we're 7 and 5. It's just, uh, it's just, <laughs> you know, and so for about the next four or five days, we have two-day practices, and it was absolute hell. I mean, I can't tell you. I have never been through basketball practice as hard as these practices were. This is a I recurring mean, theme with a Bob Knight team. That is the it, truth. It, it, it was one-on-one, no fouls. Um, it was, I mean, whatever, you know, taking charges. 
it was getting all the big men, you know, on one end of the floor, throwing the ball up off the board, and whoever got it didn't have to run. Everybody else had to run. I mean, it was a thing of we he was going to make us tougher mentally, uh, either that or he was going to find somebody else to play. It was just he, 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 he wasn't going to. You know, uh, you hear these people saying, uh, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Well, he was not going to keep getting what he was getting. He was going to change things around. And uh, so it, it was the hardest three or four days that I had ever been through in my life as far as practice. And it was tough. And we played Michigan State to start the Big Ten. And uh, we, we didn't play exceptionally well. We, uh, we won the game. I think I was two for ten. And we played terrible, but we won. And so that was all that mattered. And the next game we played against Illinois. And Illinois was really good. I think they were ranked number two or three coming in. Uh, they had Eddie Johnson and Mark Smith and Derek Holcomb. Um, they were really good. And out of, you know, we played our best game of the year. I think we won 78-61. And I scored 40 points. Yeah. Let's get into this a little bit, Kitch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. 40 points you scored and set a Big Ten record, Indiana and Big Ten record, that is still in existence today when you went 18 of 18 from the free throw line, which is the most number of makes without a miss in a game in Big Ten history. What in the world happened in that game? You were 11 of 13 from the field. What happened? Yeah, I was uh, very efficient. I mean, I took uh, 31 shots on the day and made 29 of them. Uh, (laughs) I have never done that in practice. Just like shooting layups, I couldn't uh, do that. Well, I mean, the main reason was they were chased to number 11 all day. They wanted to make we, – we, we ran what we called a, a triangle since we put Isaiah in the triangle, and Ray and I would screen for him. And so they were continuously watching for Isaiah, and I continuously was able to pop back and hit little bank shots or get the ball inside, and then we had a big lead. And so at the end of the game, they kept fouling, and they kept fouling me. And I didn't think anything about it. I just kept going up there and making the free throws. I mean, I was a good free throw shooter, but uh, I just kept going up and making the free throws. And I was just, you know, after that week of practice that we had had, you know, we were so glad to win the Michigan State game and get off to a good start in the Big Ten and then to beat such a good Illinois team. Uh, I mean, I was just so thankful, and I got taken out with, I don't know, two or a couple minutes left in the game, and one of the managers came down and gave me my sweat top or whatever, and he just kind of looked at me and says, do you know how many points you had? And I said, boy, you know, I don't know. I said, I don't know, maybe 25. I, I, I really don't know. I was so involved in the game and doing what needed to be done. He goes, you had 40 points. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and it just kind of – you know, it was one thing to score 40 points in high school. You'd do it, you know, every once in a while. But to score 40 points, if somebody had told me I was going to score 40 points in a game playing at IU, um, yeah, it was pretty uh, – and it had been kind of a tough week uh, for me. Um, I'm not going to go into any any of the details, but it had been a tough week. Uh, and so it was uh, – you know, I was the last one in the locker room that day because obviously all the reporters and stuff were around my locker that day, and I, everybody else was gone by the time I looked up and 
it was just coach night and me and we kind of shared a little <laughs> moment let's say and uh but uh yeah that was a kind of a big day but if if you know a funny thing i tell people i said people see that i shot 18 of 18 free throws that game the next game we played iowa and we get beat at home i think against iowa michigan i think and, was the next game oh okay well yeah, anyway the, the next one of the next home games we had was against Iowa, and I shoot 18 free throws again, but I only make 14 of 18 today. <laughs> so, I mean, two, two games, I mean, obviously the shot fake was working. I was getting people in the air and getting them to foul me. So, uh, but yeah, well, it was well, it, it was quite a day to, to score 40 points. But I also, just to stay for a second, um, and, and I get, we respect you not wanting to get into the details of why that week was hard for you. Just to ask this, I assume Coach Knight knew why it was a hard week for you, and and the moment that you shared at the end of that game had something to do with like you guys connecting over that. Uh, he knew exactly why it was a tough game, and uh, so it had been. Uh, you know, he 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 was on me a little harder than some of the other guys because he knew I was. Uh, I mean, I, I I I could handle it. I mean, he always got in my face and. Uh, he, it made life a little tougher on me sometimes, but I, it didn't bother me. Um, I, I could handle it and I could play through it. And, uh, but yeah, um, I mean, people close to me know why it was kind of a tough week, but, sure. uh, uh, you know, it ended up being a, a great week. So, right. uh, you know, and we were off to a good start in the big 10 and that was very important. But then, but then you lose ne- next two of the three against Michigan and Iowa so again, this the season that's destined for greatness just keeps sputtering along. What does it go back to Landon's inconsistency, or was there something else going on with the team where you weren't gelling yet? Um, it, it, it basically all goes back to Landon. I mean, because I think uh, soon after that, uh, I think we were playing. It might have been the Iowa game. He, he came in, and they were stalling. You know, there wasn't a shot clock back then. And uh, so they had Kevin Boyle, 6'5 guy, and he was stalling. And they were they had the four-corner going. And, I mean, it's no fun when you're down about six and, and the other team's stalling. And, and uh, they're just, you know, you end up having to foul. And he put Landon, fin- you know, he hadn't played Landon, basically all the Big Ten. He finally put Landon in the game, and Landon just busted his ass playing defense. I mean, he was – in a stance and and he was he was guarding people and i mean you're talking about a big man he's six eleven. he's out on the floor guarding people he finally forgot about me and started thinking about we hmm. and that was the most important thing about landon because all that all the time as a young kid he had always worried he was always worried about him and getting the ball and scoring points and from that point on you know coach started playing him and the difference between that team being a good team and a great team was Landon Turner. I mean, we had we had the best point guard ever. We had the best coach ever. And now all of a sudden we had a guy inside that was 6'11 that could shoot a little jump hook. I mean, he could run up and down. He could, he could guard people out on the wing. And he could do a lot of different things. And he decided to start playing. And all of a sudden, from that point on, from the time that he – started playing uh i don't know if we lost any any games after that i think we won the last six games in the big 10 uh won the big 10 at michigan state 
Yep. And finished then, then fourteen won, and four, by the way. Fourteen and four in the Big Ten that year. Yeah, yeah. And uh and then we got in the NCAA and it was a uh it was quite a run in the NCAA. Well let's talk about that because that run in the NCAA tournament, you didn't first of all, you played a bunch of good teams. You didn't just squeak by. You were smoking teams. Twenty three I mean, points was the, the differential. Yeah. yeah. Throughout the tournament. I mean you win the first and game by thirty five. Yeah, we won by 35, then we won by 18, then we won by 32, then we won by 19, and then we won by 13. Yeah. You I, know, so. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the final four games. So, here you are. What, what, it, what, let's say leading into that already, because you've had three such dominant, as you're going into this final four game, were you guys, is it like a collective zone? Do you guys, did, did you all just feel absolutely unbeatable when you showed up to Philadelphia? Well, I mean, in the first game we played Maryland, and Maryland had Buck Williams, <clears throat> probably the greatest player that, excuse me, that I I ever played against. Um, they had Albert King, uh, they had Ernest Graham, uh, and they were just coming off an ACC tournament victory where they had won the ACC tournament. Uh, I think they they'd beat Virginia by twenty, so they were really good. And uh, you know, as we went on the court that day, DePaul was what walking off the court, the number one seed in the country had just gotten beat by St. Joe. Right. So they're, they're walking off Mark Aguirre and, and a lot of Isaiah's boys that he was buddies with who had laughed at us the night before, as we were carrying our notebooks, going to a meeting, they were walking off having just gotten beat by St. Joe. We were walking on the court to play Maryland. Yes. And uh, it was kind of funny. I remember Lefty Grizzell was sitting there, and the, the assistant coach was pointing out, guys, uh, there's, okay, that guy, that's Kitchell, and that guy, that's Ray Tolbert, and that's, you know. I mean, I don't think he'd ever watch film on us or anything else. But anyway, all of a sudden we look up, and we're down 8 nothing. Knight refuses to call a timeout, and he says, let's just see what the, you know. So all of a sudden we kind of, you know, well, then we're up, uh, you know, we're up like, you know, I'm I, I'm guarding Buck Williams that day. Buck Williams wow. was as tough as I've ever played against. And that's usually the way we did things. I guarded the center. Ray and Landon would guard the forwards out on the wing. And so I would play in the post defensively. And Buck was averaging, I don't know, he's probably averaging 20 points a game and about 15 rebounds a game. And my only job, I felt like all day, was to keep him off the board. And he scored, you know, like six points early. But for the at the end of the game, I think he had maybe eight points and three rebounds. So, uh, I mean, I, I fought that man all day just to – I didn't care if – I didn't care if I got the rebound. I just wanted to make sure that he didn't get the rebound. Mm, right. And so I fought him all day. I think we were up 16 and a half, and Isaiah and Ray, and, I mean, we just started running up and down the court and – I mean, they had about 15 dunks that day, and I mean, we ended up winning 99 to 64, and just absolutely toasted them. And, uh, and then we came home and played UAB. We came home, <clears throat> we came home to the regional, and the regional was in Bloomington, so yeah. that was a big plus. Yeah. But the teams, the teams that were supposed to be in the regional were IU, Wake Forest, Kentucky, and DePaul. Those were the teams that were supposed to make it into the regional. The only team that was there was IU. I mean, it was IU, Boston College, uh, St. Joe, and UAB. 
who the hell's UAB? Nobody's ever heard of UAB, you know? <laughs> but the next two days in practice, we get thrown out of practice every day because Knight doesn't think that we're going to mentally be ready to play this team from UAB, and he knows that they're a good team. They're well coached. Obviously, Team Barto was coaching. Um, so we get thrown out of practice basically every day. Uh, he's, you know, screaming, yelling, you know, and basically he's doing this to mentally get us ready to play this game. Well, we end up playing, we end up winning pretty easily. Uh, and then we have to, then we have to play St. Joe who's beat Boston college. And you know what St. Joe's going to do if they get a lead on you, they're going to stall. Right. And so it was, uh, the most important thing in my mind was to get off to a good start. And I took the first shot that day and hit it and we were up two Oh, and from there, uh, things got pretty ugly for St. Joe. We, I think we, I think we ended up winning by 32. Yes. And uh, yeah, we uh, and held them we, to 46 we, points. Yeah, it was like 72, 46 or something. 78, 46. Like yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah. So it was I, pretty exciting. So, so then, all of a sudden, you're thinking, "Hey, we're going to the Final Four. You know, I mean, other other than that, you had never thought about it. You didn't think about it. We were thinking about UAB. We were thinking about St. Joe. I mean, so that is that, true. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. You you are not looking ahead. There's no point in this oh, run where you're like, oh, we could win no. the national championship. Like you oh, were ne- never thought of it. You know, it was down. It was down. Like, okay, I remember Chuck Franz said, "Hey, boys, we're down to four. It was four, four, four of us left. That's it. And we had to play a great LSU team." I mean, obviously, Coach Knight and Dave Brown, no love lost there between no. the two of them. But they had Ethan Martin, great point guard. Uh, I had to guard Greg Cook, the cookie monster. Uh, you know, they had uh, Macklin. Rudy Macklin was as good a player as there was in the country. Um, you know, they were really, really good. And uh, we we put it on them pretty good, too. You I did, mean, we beat and them. you – and you had a great game with 10 points and four rebounds to help lead Indiana to Bob Knight's now second chance at a national championship game. And that game takes place on March 30th, 1981. Anything else going yeah. on around that time? Yeah. Did anything happen out? Yeah. <laughs> what else happened that day? Yeah. Reagan might want to put on his bulletproof vest. Yeah. So walk us through. Uh, to, to provide the context for anybody listening that may not know, although I think most do know, that day, President Reagan suffered an assassination attempt. He was shot. Yeah. He was shot in Washington, outside of Washington, D.C. hotel, I believe, after he gave a speech. Uh, when did you find out? How did you find out? Where were you? And what in the world were, were you? How, how did Bob Knight handle that whole circus when that happened? Um, you know, when, whenever you were on the road, you just, you had meetings, uh, you'd probably have four or five meetings a day, just kind of, you know, whether you watched a little film or whether you just got in, uh, the big guys might have a meeting where they talked about what they were planning on doing and how they were going to defend this or that. So I think we'd come back from breakfast or a meeting and, uh, something flashed across the, uh, TV, uh, you know, breaking news, whatever, and they said that, uh, you know, the uh, president had been shot. So uh, <clears throat> we didn't think we didn't think anything about it. Knight didn't call. He didn't call a meeting or anything. We just kept doing what we were doing, and he never ever mentioned that. Hey guys, uh, 
you know, hey boys, the uh, the game might be canceled tonight. We're 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 on hold here to see what's going on. Uh, we stayed focused on what we were doing and what we uh, you know came there to do. And uh, so uh, nothing really changed for us. I mean, we we were staying in Cherry Hills, uh, New Jersey, is where we were staying. And other than that, we uh, got ready to to play North Carolina that night of obviously a North Carolina team that had beaten us earlier in the year yeah. on their home court, you know, a team that was led by Jimmy Black, uh, obviously Worthy Perkins, the best player on the team had been Al Wood, who scored 39 in the semifinals against Virginia. Uh, so it was going to be a real, a real tough tough night and uh we knew we were gonna have to play our best to win do you remember any of the game plan uh that coach knight came up with to to uh ultimately win that championship what what was the big difference along with say landon now being in a very different headspace as a player do you remember what else was a key to that victory um not 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 really i i don't remember uh us doing anything you know that much different than anything else uh i mean i obviously got in foul trouble uh i got three quick foul uh the only game that you know i went all year where i didn't score a point i did take the first shot of the game again uh as i did in the saint joe game but i missed it but uh yeah i don't remember us doing anything special uh, obviously, they were very athletic, uh, worthy, very quick, great jumper. Uh, Perkins really long and hard to keep off the board. You know, you had to block him out. But uh, nothing nothing special, just, uh, you know, playing your game. I know that uh, one thing that they did, they, they used to like to trap when you'd come across the half-court line. And uh, I remember he, uh, Coach Knight, put Isaiah in the middle Rather than having Isaiah as one of the guards out top, he put Isaiah in the middle, and that way you could get the ball to Isaiah. He could turn and boom, he could he could attack. He could either drive to the basket, he could throw it to Ray or Landon on each side of him. But uh, rather than wasting him out there where somebody was going to trap him, uh, it was much harder to trap him when he was in the middle of the court and you'd throw it to him. He was about at the top of the key, and then he'd turn and he'd go down to the free throw line. He'd either hit a little jump shot or he'd dish it off to Ray or Landon. So, uh, um, it was just, you know, good, good team, obviously. I mean, you're playing against a great coach and Dean Smith and great players. But is that one of those things that only coach Knight has the genius to come up with as it's happening? Like, Oh, Dean Smith and this incredibly talented. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, Hey, let's not have Isaiah run point. Let's have, I I mean, if if you have Isaiah Thomas, where you have, well, most people have him out front, you know, and he dribbles across the half court line and they come and trap him. Well, coach Knight would stick him in the middle and he would have like Jim Thomas and Whitman bring the ball up and then they throw it to Isaiah. Now he's going to turn. And now one of these big guys is going to have to try to defend him. He's way too fast and way too quick. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I always thought that was a, a brilliant play, Coach Knight. Uh, but those are the type of things that he he would come up at all times. I mean, that's why I obviously he didn't sleep much at night because his brain's working about how did he do this and how right. did he do that. But, uh, but, yeah, it was a brilliant move. Do you remember a moment in the game where you looked up at the scoreboard, saw the score, saw the time left, and had the epiphany of – 
we're going to win the national title. I mean, the scary thing was I remember looking up and we were behind about eight to two and thinking, we were going to get blown out. We, you know, I mean, I, 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 that's the thought that ran through my mind was failure, you know, and wow. of, of anything that scares me in my life is failure. Nothing, nothing really scares me other than be to fail. And I thought, God, we've come this far. And, um, I mean, obviously by halftime, Whitman hit a jump shot from the corner, uh, put us up. And then the second half, Isaiah made a couple steals. Uh, and then we got out to about a 10 point lead. And then we, uh, back in those days, you got a 10 point lead. Uh, you, uh, work the ball around. Yep. And again, we put Isaiah in the middle and you could always, he was always a release. You throw it to him and he could drive to the bucket. He could, you know, he could always, he was a good decision maker with the ball. And, uh, so yeah, I can remember with a, you know, a couple minutes looking up and kind of, you didn't want to say anything, but you're kind of looking around like, Hey guys, <laughs> I think this, I think this might happen, you know? Right. And, uh, so yeah, it was. And I remember Eisenbarger went and grabbed, it had the NCAA logo on this thing. He grabbed it, put it up over his head and, uh, yeah, it was uh, just, you know, it's been a long time ago, but uh, obviously uh, something that you'll never forget. And I still have the, the net that I cut down that night yes. and obviously uh, all the wonderful things that came with it. And obviously in this state, you, you're never forgotten, even though I'm headed towards 60 years old. Uh, rarely does a day go by that somebody doesn't mention that, hey, that guy played on the 1981 NCAA championship team. So, but I, I just have to go back to something you said earlier in this conversation. So, you just win the national title, but in your mind, that is the second biggest win of your basketball life behind the sectional title at Lewis Cass. Yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the one at Lewis Cass was the the most important win. That's important. It was to me, you know, to a school, to a high school that had never won it, a a sectional championship and that's where the the ihsaa people just don't get it right you're right because because winning a sectional title at Lewis cast was big you know I, I i now wish that i had set my sights a little higher because <laughs> we, had, we had we had a great high school team and uh i think sometimes when you set your sights on a certain thing once you reach that right that, you know you don't you don't reach for more uh, that was the one thing great about Coach Knight. He never allowed you to reach too low. You know, he was always thinking about winning national championships, uh, big Ten titles and national championships, not just, uh, you know, beating Kentucky or Purdue. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, it's still, I mean, the Lewis Cass victory was still the most important victory it. of my life. And yeah. and with with Coach Knight, where it seems like maybe – only winning a national championship makes him truly, truly happy. What's that like to be around a truly happy and satisfied coach night for what that night? I mean, maybe the flight home, like yeah. how, how long hey, did you I, get to be with that coach night? I was going to say, he, he, he's not, he's not happy very long. Right. First and <laughs> foremost, I mean, we, we, we had done it. But still, we weren't the 76 team. 
<laughs> oh man, you know, we, we we were really good, but we weren't the '76 team. The '76 team was put on a pedestal way high above where we were. You know, we we had done it, and we had kind of got the monkey off our back that yeah, we did it, but still, uh, we weren't the '76 team. The '76 team uh, stands alone, and uh, nobody will ever ever be up there with that group he he didn't bring that up like that night though did he no 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 <laughs> he, he would uh i mean you know basically he just said you know uh you know he talked to us a little bit after the game says boys you know have a good time represent your university proudly uh bus leaves at seven in the morning make sure you're on it and uh so we flew back <clears throat> flew back to indianapolis um it was. It looked like a morgue on the on the plane. Obviously, nobody slept all night, uh, so it was uh, it was pretty quiet on the plane. Uh, I think we got the key to the city or something, and then we got on the bus and we drove down thirty seven. It was uh, you know the the cars kind of pulled off to the sides, and uh, you know farmers in their fields you know stopped and kind of waved their hat at us and. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. They drove down into Assembly, drove the bus down down into Assembly Hall, and then we got out. And obviously, none of the kids were in school that day. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun day. I mean, yeah. Did you feel like the entire population of mm-hmm. of undergraduate IU was just as hungover as the team? Was it like a yeah. Collect- yeah. <laughs> collective yeah. groggy joy? Uh, it was amazing all those kids that they made it to assembly hall. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they, had, they had a long night and a tough night too. But yeah, they uh, collectively stumbled all the way from but, uh, campus. Exactly, there. but they were all there, and uh, it was uh, yeah, it was a great, great moment and uh, something you know things that you dream of. I mean, think about a kid from Galveston, Indiana. I mean, who could have ever, who could have ever thought. Uh, you know, and when I went home later that week, I finally made it home and up on our barn, my uncle and a couple helpers um, had put, uh, you know, 1981 NCAA champ in real big, like this, this is on our red barn uh, in big white letters, you know, 1981 NCAA champ. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So then you're in the off season after a national title and one big, uh, one kind of massive thing happens after another. The, one of them is that Isaiah Thomas decides to go to the NBA, which obviously changes the look of the team and, and his career goes on a, a upward trajectory from there. But the other thing that is tragedy uh, that hits the team is Landon Turner's accident. What do you remember about when that happened, how you found out, and how it impacted you and the team in the uh, days, weeks, and months after that? Yeah, I remember Isaiah. Um, you know, we pretty much knew that he was going pro. He lived uh, he, he lived right next to Whitman and I, and so we always kind of knew what was happening with he and, uh, and, and his family, and we kind of watched out for him and uh, – you know, he didn't have, he didn't have, a, have a lot. He didn't have a lot of money and things like that. We make sure that he had, uh, you know, he could always come to our house and eat and stuff like that. And, uh, so he decided to go pro and, uh, I think he hated, he hated it because he wanted to stay and play with us, but he knew he needed to do it. 
and we also needed knew he needed to do it. But uh, if he would have came back, I mean, you were going to have myself, Whitman, Landon Turner, and Isaiah Thomas on that starting five. Uh, we would have been pretty darn good. And, uh, yeah, we would have been very, very good. But, uh, so it wasn't a big surprise that Isaiah decided to go pro, but, uh, I remember, uh, you know, Landon was working out so hard then, and he had finally, he finally got it. You know, that was the main thing. I mean, he had quit worrying about himself and everything. And I mean, he was working out, he was running, he was playing game, playing at the hyper all the time. And so I think I was in the first, I was in summer school or whatever for the first session then I went home and so I remember the last time I saw Landon before I went home I mean he was this this huge massive man I mean he was about 6'11 about 280 and just an absolute stud I mean he was so big and powerful and uh, I thought wow he is going to be so good and so I went home and I mean I was working on the farm I mean I remember my mother, I mean, I was, I was cultivating my dad, my older brother and I were cultivating. I can remember exactly the farm we were at. And, uh, I remember my mom came on the CB radio and she said, uh, to me, she said, BLT has been injured. Okay. That Landon Turner had been injured. I said, really? She goes, yeah, I'll give you details when you get home. So we went home for lunch that day and they were reporting it on the news. They didn't know exactly how severe it was, things like that. Um, so the last time I had seen him, he was this huge, massive man standing there before I left for left to go home after summer school. And uh, the next time I saw him is I picked Whitman up that evening. And we went to, uh, I think it was Methodist Hospital. It was one of the hospitals. And, uh, I mean, here was this big guy laying in a bed. Uh, you know, n never to know if he would ever walk again. You know, I mean, he was obviously unconscious and things like that. So it was a pretty sad moment. When was it determined that, in fact, he would not walk again? Well, I mean, uh, you know, in talking to the doctors and the nurses that, that, that day, uh, you know, they didn't know, I mean, I, and I don't think that his, his, uh, the cord was severed. I think it was just bruised, but, uh, the spinal cord is obviously a real, uh, difficult thing to figure. And, uh, so after, uh, I mean, after he came out of a coma and stuff like that, I mean, uh, you know, you, you went and visited him, but uh, you can see that uh, he he just didn't have any movement in his legs or anything. And at that point in time, they basically said that he was, you know, he, the chances of him walking were probably not very good. And how hard was that for, obviously, for Landon? But as his teammates, how did you... Uh, support him how what what happened in the weeks and well it was difficult for obviously for landon and you know what of all the people if you would have told me that it was going to happen to if, that if it would happen to him i would have said he would have not handled it well at all hmm. and yet he's 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 done a tremendous job of handling it uh he goes around uh he lives in indy still i still see him once in a while uh he does a lot of uh speaking uh he's a very very strong christian man 
Um, I've seen him in know, many games at Indiana. He's yeah, always he around. goes to a lot of IU games. He goes to a lot of Pacer games. You know, like my kids will go down and see him, and uh, he's always just, you know, he knows who they are, and he always says hello. And he's just such a, a positive guy. And I would have never guessed, you know, that was not the guy. Because hmm. if the guy that originally from Tech High School that came to IU would have had that happen to him, he would have, wouldn't have handled it well. But he had grown so much mentally, uh, physically, uh, that he was able to handle it, and he's handled it quite well. It was very difficult to 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 see him, you know, when he came to the games and stuff, and you're out there. But he was very supportive. He knew what you were going through. I mean, obviously, when good times, bad times, because he had right. been through the good and the bad times. Can so uh, he was very supportive. Can you talk a little bit about Coach Knight's relationship with Landon after that happened? Um, you know, Coach Knight did a lot to raise money for him. Um, I don't. Um, I I always I I don't know exactly everything, but I'd always heard that he didn't feel like like Landon should have. Uh, I think he sued Ford Motor Company. Uh, and I think there was a suit and I don't know, I had always heard that maybe coach Knight didn't feel like he should have done that, but coach Knight did a lot of things as far as raising money for him. So he had, he had money to help him, uh, get through the difficult times. And I think helped him buy a van that he could, uh, right. You know, get around in and do a lot of things, but, uh, coach Knight was very, very supportive and doing whatever needed to be done to, uh, to make sure Landon, uh, had everything that he needed. And, and how, how much did that mean to Landon that coach Knight arranged for him to get drafted by the Celtics? Um, I think it meant a lot. Uh, obviously coach Knight was very good friends with, with our back and, uh, yeah, they made the last, uh, I think their last. Uh, pick that year is is they chose Landon Turner and uh, you know rather than being on that end of the spectrum if he had not been hurt he would have been on the other end he would have been number one draft choice of of the NBA that year that's how big that's how big and strong and how good he was and how mobile I mean he was just he had turned into such a great player and he was such a good team player Uh, he had just changed so much from the guy that came to IU that was a selfish guy who worried about himself into being a very much a team player. And, uh, and it made all the difference in the world, not only for him, but also for the team that he played on because, uh, all of a sudden those teams started winning championships because of his, of his change. So I just wanted to follow up one more. It also highlights something that, that we touched on a little earlier about that, uh, 7980 team how much luck just plays into any sport i mean really any walk of life but luck is as important of a factor in wins and losses and team success as any other single factor game planning shooting defense i mean Especially in regard to injury. That's what I mean. I mean, just the luck of an injury. Um, And we'll get to, you know, your senior year, uh, two years after this, that that is beset by injuries at the end of it. The beginning of your career injuries. Randy Whitman's injury. Uh, We talked about Alan Henderson's injury with the early 90s teams. Like, luck just is something that 
it's so fleeting it's it but it has just major impact and i think as fans when we look back and you just see who won and who lost and oh that's a success or that's a failure you forget totally about this other thing called luck that does have a major impact in all of this yeah i would say uh luck has has something to do with it uh the good Lord has something to do with it. I feel like, uh, so, um, you just have to deal with it. Yes, just, you do. Uh, prepare yourself mentally and physically, physically to be your best and, uh, hope that everything works out. So going in to the next season, obviously you, you've lost two great teammates for very different reasons. Uh, it's time for you to step up, but I want to get, you know, some impressions here, uh, of new teammates, how mouthy was Dan Dockage when he showed up? Uh, I wouldn't say he was mouthy. No, uh, he was. <laughs> he uh, yeah, he was pretty quiet. I mean, he was a uh, you know good player. I mean, he uh, he wasn't very quick afoot. Didn't jump very high, but he was a very intelligent player. Um, and he, I, obviously he played some his freshman year. I mean, he didn't play a lot, but I remember sitting down and he kind of looked at it the same way I had as a freshman. I think he felt like if I get Kitchell the ball or Whitman the ball, uh, you know, coach Knight's going to play me. And if I don't turn the ball over and so, because he did those things, he was able to, to get some time on the court. Okay. Uh, how about Uwe Blob? Uh, Uwe was a guy that, uh, you know, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, if you, if you gave him the chance to read a math book or a, a playboy, he would probably pick math book at the time when he, <laughs> when, when, when he came to IU. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, uh, great guy. He's a great guy. He was not a very competitive guy. Uh, you know, he had grown up in Germany where they just kind of played for fun, and all of a sudden you're, you're – uh, you know, you're Knight. you're playing for Bob Knight and uh, life and death out there playing. Uh, I remember one day, you know, uh, he had had a decent day. And these are the kind of things that would happen with Uve. Uh, he's had a good day. And so, Coach, we're in the locker room afterwards, and Coach is talking to Uve, and he's kind of, you know, saying, Coach, Uve, that's the way you got to play. He says, you got to, you know, you got to grind it out. And you got to, you know, you got to play hard. And you got to play like Dave Cowens, you know, diving on the floor and going after balls. And all of a sudden, Uwe raises his hand. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, what is this, you know? <laughs> and Coach is like, yeah, 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 what? what? You know, Co- Coach is in the middle of this rant where he's telling him what he needs to do. And, and Uwe's got his hand up. And, and Coach goes, yeah, yeah, what, what, what? And Uwe says, who is Dave Cowens? <laughs> <laughs> He had no idea who the hell Dave Cowens was. Phenomenal. Uh, and then, and then, uh, finally, did you ever imagine that that your teammate Cam Cameron was going to end up being the head coach of the IU football team? Uh, I wouldn't have imagined it back then, I guess. But uh, Cam was a good teammate. Uh, he was an okay, you know, player. I mean, he played football, and then he'd come out and play basketball, and and. Uh, you know, he'd come out, and sometimes he'd be a little too enthusiastic on the floor, and you'd have to just kind of slow him, pull him to the side, and say, "Hey, slow down just a little bit." You know, you know, you're kind of making the rest of us look look bad here. You know, you're you're working way way too hard. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with Coach Knight. Coach Knight was best, very good friends with Bo Schimbeckler, 
Bo Schembechler put Cam Cameron on his staff and, uh, you know, that type of thing. And because of that, he was able to go on to do the things that he did. And your basketball career takes a giant step forward here where you go from being a huge part of the team in the championship year and, and a solid contributor, like I said, playing 22 minutes a game, to now playing in the mid-30s a game, and you are the leading scorer. You're averaging close to 20 points a game. You are the star of the team in many ways, you and obviously Randy, but, but you're leading the team in scoring. What, was that something that happened organically uh, just because the players that were on the team – you know, the year before weren't there and you had to step up or was there any kind of conversation from coach to you where it was like, okay, I need you to score more. You have to shoot more. Or did it just happen organically? <laughs> no, he, I think he'd be the first to tell you, he never sat down and told me I needed to shoot more because I, I was going <laughs> to be shooting enough. But uh, I don't know. I think he just felt like you were in a position where you needed to uh, raise your game a little bit and do what the team needed. You know, uh, I mean, they needed somebody to score points. I mean, coach that year, our junior year was begging Whitman to shoot. I mean, he was begging him to shoot. At one game against Northwestern, he told him if he didn't have 10 shots by halftime, you'd never play here again. <laughs> uh, I mean, and I looked at Whitman. I said, "Damn, I wish he would tell me that just one time." You know, <laughs> but he 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 never had to tell me that. Right? But, he knew uh, he didn't need to. Exactly. Yeah, he he knew I was ready to fire when open. Uh, but uh, I just I don't know. I just you just kind of walk into a position. You know, at IU you kind of grow into your position. You know, I mean, you're a screener and you do the things when you're first year and then you move into a position where, OK, now you're expected to do this. And now the next year you're expected to score points. And so I had watched Woody. I had watched Isaiah. I'd watched different guys move into that position. And so I didn't think about it much. But my junior year, I played very, very well. I mean, I was the leading scorer on the team and it was a tough year, obviously, uh, we went from being a national championship team to losing, you know, Ray, Isaiah, and Landon. And uh, and so now, you know, it was pretty tough. But we still ended up finishing, uh, I think, second in the Big Ten. We went to the NCAA playoffs. We uh, I think we beat Robert Morris in Nashville first. And then we played a very, very good UAB team, a team we had played the year before, now was one year older. And uh, they pretty much pounded us pretty good and uh then the season was over uh, and, by the way uh, you, you said you you played very well let's take a second there you didn't just play very well you had one of the all-time great seasons at indiana scoring over 19 points a game and shooting well over 50 percent from the field i mean just an incredible game and i'm curious if at any point in this year did you start to think i could play professional basketball did did your eyes start to go beyond your collegiate career on what might be the next step, even though it's your junior year, obviously? But I'm just curious if that ever figured into your thought process. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my junior year basketball-wise, but, and I mean, obviously senior. it's my senior year as a uh, academics because right. uh, I had redshirted. Um, I never really thought about it. Um, the things that I was most proud about that year is I remember I would look, uh, you know, sometimes in the – and you, I would see that I was number one free throw shooter in the Big Ten. I was like the number one field goal shooter in the Big Ten. And I was basically the leading scorer in the Big Ten. Right. So that, that 
meant that you were being very efficient doing what you're doing. I think Edmondson ended up beating me by two tenths of a point or something. You know, Katie left him in the game and uh, he was able to score a couple points and beat me out of the other. But uh, I think I was number one in free throw and one or two in field goal percentage. So, uh, but most importantly, it was just winning, winning games. And uh, obviously we had to play at a much higher level than we were playing because, uh, you know, we got beat in the NCAA tournament and, uh, you know, we finished second in the big 10. Um, so Knight was not allowing us to feel like, Oh, you know, we had a pretty good year. I mean, we needed to do things better if we expected to, uh, to do the things that we wanted to do. So then let's hit 82, 83, your senior season, because I, I think, you know, looking at both 79, 80 and 82, 83, you know, these are both teams that, that very well could have won a national championship and when you're going into 82-83, are you are – you, is that an expectation? You're going – you're starting off as one of the absolute best teams in the country. Maybe you rank number one going in or top, no, top not, five. Not going in, but they're in quick order. They, in quick order, they win ten games in a row. I think you start yeah. the year 10-0 and 0 and you become ranked yeah. number one in the country. So, so, so are you – Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a long summer – because I had played baseball at IU that year. Uh, after the uh, 80, 82 season, I had, uh, Knight had encouraged me to play baseball. I mean, I was a pitcher. I uh, you know, threw about 95 mile an hour and had had a lot of interest from the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Yankees, and some different people. Wow. So I played baseball. You must have been like Randy Johnson up on the mound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was a better looking guy than he was. Yeah, of course, of well, course. Uh, but t- Kitch, but it, but Kitch, it, that's not a high bar. But, that's not a high bar. Come on. But anyway, uh, you know, a week after the basketball season's over, I'm out playing baseball. And so you do that all the way until the end of May. And then I had gotten invited to the U.S. World Team trials. And we went to Colorado Springs and I tried out for that. I ended up making the U.S. World Team. And so we travel all over, you know, uh, the World's Fair and uh, Knoxville and down to Miami. And then we go to Columbia, Bogota, Columbia, and we play in Bogota and Calais, Columbia. We end up losing by a point, 93-92 to the Russians. And I come home and three or four days later, I'm back at IU. Wow. I mean, that that was my summer. Um, and so... I kind of got off to a uh, kind of a ragged start first two or three games. But uh, by the time uh, you're exactly right, we started off, we were probably top five team in the country, but uh, we did win 10 in a row. Uh, We beat, uh, obviously we beat Notre Dame. Was that Notre Dame? Uh, who was a good team? Always loved beating Digger Phelps. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing, nothing I enjoyed because he was the most arrogant ass yes at times that i have ever seen you know i mean i'd see him in the summer at a golf outing or something and we had kicked his ass the year before he wouldn't give me the time of day he wouldn't say hey ted how you doing it's good to see you how's everything he would you know put his sunglasses on and walk by me and act like he'd never never known me so i always loved every chance i got to beat his ass and i love that i guess when you're Uh, only the third best college basketball coach in the state that's the attitude yeah, you have to take you got that and then we beat which was a huge win uh, yeah actually you know, Kitch, uh, for a second i want to pause on that because that 
again, looking back, you see all these games and they're just all box scores and, you know, wins and losses. But just to put that game in some context, your time at Indiana, your red shirt, your freshman year, which ended up being a red shirt year, you did the team beat Kentucky. But but you, again, that was a red shirt year for you. Your next yeah. three years, you lose to Kentucky each of those yeah. years. Now, this is your lap, maybe your last chance. You end up playing Kentucky yeah. in the tournament. But but in, in fact, you didn't play in that game because of injury. Exactly. But, but this is yeah. your last chance to beat Kentucky. And we know Coach Knight hates Kentucky. We yeah. hate Kentucky. The state yeah. hates Kentucky. This is a huge game. Can you just walk us through what that was like for you? Because it was a uh, big deal. It, it, it was a big game. I, I always remember at the end of that year, my dad says it was a pretty good year. We won at Notre Dame. We beat Kentucky, and we won at Purdue. Yes, <laughs> you know those, those three things. I had we had not done, and we did them all that year. And uh, but yeah, I mean uh, Kentucky was uh, obviously very good. Again, Hurt, Horde, Minifield, um, I think uh, uh, Turpin. You know they were really good, and uh, it, it was a tight game throughout. And uh, I think I had a chance late in the game. There was like three seconds to go, and I got fouled, and I made I think one or two free throws, which uh, sealed the game because we were not uh, we were not playing with the three point line except in the Big Ten that year. Yeah, so, which we're going to get to, which is really interesting. But yeah, you, you end um, up going for sixteen points and six rebounds in that Kentucky game which, by the way, vaults you guys from, I think, number five in the country at the time to being number one in the country, a ranking that yeah. you finished 1982 <laughs> with, ranked number one in the country, which had yeah. to feel pretty great. It felt pretty good until we got to Ohio State and got beat by one. Yeah. Um, you know, And uh, Bob Huggins' brother Larry, I think, hit two or three threes against us that day. And uh, so we got back to Bloomington and night threw all the seniors out of the locker room uh, you know, here here was a team that we were we were ten and zero, number one in the country. We go to Ohio State, we lose by one. We come home and Knight throws all the seniors out of the locker room. We have to dress in the visitors' locker room all week because he didn't want us to because we we he didn't want us to be a bad influence on all the young guys. Okay, so so, so we, I, I mean, now at you know every day in practice we would just thump the second team when we would scrimmage and stuff. But the only time that he would ever say anything is if they scored a basket, he'd say, see, that's what I'm talking about. Right there. <laughs> that, that, that's you know, he says, I, there's just no way I can play you guys, you know? And so he basically didn't speak to us all week in practice. At the end of practice, you know, after practice is over, you'd go to training table where somebody would eat. He sent six managers to training table. He would not allow us to go to training table. <laughs> We'd have to go to McDonald's or Wendy's to eat. He, he wouldn't allow. He wouldn't allow us to eat training table. We we didn't get to go to training table, and so God love him. But he was a crazy here, here, person. I mean, he's I a crazy him, person. We, we were the number one team in the country. I mean, are you kidding me? So with with about uh, with. It was Wednesday afternoon. I finally, as a captain, walked into Coach Knight's office, and uh, I said, Coach, if we're going to, you know, we were getting ready to go to Illinois that afternoon. I said, if we're going to do this, you know, you know, and so I kind of got laughed at, and 
you know, he mocked me and kind of made fun of me. And so we went out on the practice floor that day and same old thing. He's not paying any attention to any of us. And then finally, with about a half hour left in practice, he said, okay, switch your jerseys over. I want, you know, Kitchell in red, Whitman in red, blah, 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 blah. He said, oh, and we were not allowed to shoot threes all year up to this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were, didn't even know the three point line was on the floor. <laughs> Okay, we go to Ohio State, we get beat by threes. He says, okay, he says, I want Kitchell on this side, outside the three-point line. I want Whitman on this side. I want you playing a 2-3 zone, and I don't want any shot taken that is not three. Wow. Wow. So for the next next 20 minutes, we work against the zone, and Whitman and I do nothing but shoot threes when we're open to shoot threes. Okay, we have not played – we have not used the three-point line all year. Now, all of a sudden, the only thing he wants to do is shoot threes. And, and I'm presuming you know, you're never went, never taking shots from that deep prior to this, or very yeah, rarely. We, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like we were standing outside shooting threes, you know. Right. So, uh, And when they had passed the deal earlier in the year, he had said, that's fine with me. He says, if you want to put a three-point line. And he says, I got the two best three-point shooting. There's only three guys in the in the Big Ten that can shoot it, and two of them are on my team. <laughs> it's what he said. Now, the funny thing was somebody on the – he never said who the other guy was, but that guy throughout the year was trying to prove that it was me or it was me or it was me. You know? <laughs> but they were all trying to prove to Coach Knight that I'm that other guy. That's <laughs> great. But anyway – we end up flying to Illinois. Uh, Illinois's got a really good team. And uh, I think I hit two threes. Whitman hit three, maybe. Uh, and then we win that game. We go to Purdue. And I have not won at Purdue yet uh, in my career. And we end up, we're up 20 in the first half. We end up winning 81-78, I think. Yep. And I hit like I hit like two more threes. And Whitman hits a couple. And anyway, uh, we're allowed to start shooting the three. Only Whitman and I are the only two guys that are allowed to shoot it. And I think for the season, I ended up, I don't know, 21 of 32 for 66% from three-point line. Yeah. But, uh, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. You can't just go past. You can't throw that stat out and just not talk about it. You shot 66% yeah. from three-point line. Yes. What in the world? I mean, we live in a world <laughs> where if you shoot 35% from three right now, it's considered green light. Just shoot as much as you want. 35%. You shot 66. I mean, was part of you going, uh, uh, why can't they just, I want to play with the three-point line, go back and do my whole career <laughs> over. Yeah, I mean, and it was it was a long three-point line. I mean, we didn't play with the 19-9 that the ACC and some of those others. I think we were playing it at 21-8 or something like that. Uh, it was it was the longer three-point line. But, uh, I mean, I, I was always a good long-range shooter, and I had a lot of confidence in shooting. But, yeah, I tell people, I said, you know, I see these guys that they say, oh, this guy's shooting 45% from the three-point line. Wow, you know, and Steph Curry shoots 43% from the th- – I said, you know, I mean, now I didn't take 300 shots I, like uh, they did. I, I, you know, we, we only took a few, but still, yeah, I had a good year, 66%. You, do you remember Kitch, what like. Kitch, you could be making $30 million a year if you were in the pros <laughs> yeah. right now. Oh, yeah, that, that would have been nice. Do you remember what you shot from the free throw line that year? 
Um, the only thing I really remember was I led the Big Ten in free throw shooting my sophomore, my junior, and my senior year, which was important to him. I always felt like that was, uh, you know, said something about you. That, uh, But, no, I don't know what I shot from the free throw line that year. You shot 91.3% from the free throw line. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow is right. <laughs> um, so you guys are, are having a good year. After that Ohio State loss, you rattle off five straight wins. Things are going well. Until you get to a game at Michigan, or I'm sorry, I don't know if it was at Michigan. I think it was at Michigan. Where... Well, really, uh, we had played Iowa just before that, and we lose to Iowa. Right. And I, I had the worst game of my career. I shoot like two of fourteen, and Knight is just rolling me over the coals. You know, as far as I mean, the year before when I was a junior, we played Iowa at home, and I'd scored thirty four. Uh, that, that weekend I had scored 32 against Illinois and then 34. And I was actually named the sports illustrated player of the week, uh, the year, the year before. And so here I shoot like two of 15, we end up getting beat at nights. Well, the problem is, is I'm, you know, I'm having some back problems and I'm not really, I'm I'm not really telling anybody. I'm just kind of dealing with it. So before we go to Michigan, uh, I'm working with Uwe in the, in the post and I kind of feel it blow up in my back you know you you kind of make this move and you feel it kind of and you think oh no and you kind of get this pain down my leg so I don't say anything about it and so I pretty much stay up all night at Michigan sitting in the in the hot bathtub I don't say anything other than whoever my roommate was obviously knew that I was struggling but I didn't sleep pretty much all night I went to shoot around in the morning and didn't say anything to the coaching staff or anything and so I started that night, and I think I hit a three, and I hit a two. And finally, uh, after the first TV timeout, I told Garl, Tim Garl, I said, you got to take me out. I said, I can't, I can't feel my leg from my knee down. I'm afraid I'm going to trip and break my leg or something. So, so they took me out of the game, um, and I basically went to the locker room and then the next day they flew me home and uh and so then I had blown up another disc in my back and uh so yeah my career was kind of done and again it's another one of these what ifs because uh, you know when you were playing and healthy that year you guys were the number one number two team in the country for for a lot of the year um but your Indiana career ends with three Big Ten championships, one national championship, an NIT championship. You are you, Your senior year ends with beating Kentucky, winning at Purdue, beating Notre Dame. You are one of the most prolific shooters and highest, most efficient scorers in Indiana history. You're an All-American your junior and senior years. You're all Big Ten your junior and senior years. And then uh, you get drafted in the second round in the NBA. At this point, are you thinking you're going to have a long career in the NBA? Is this a dream of yours at this point? Like what, what's in your mindset for what your post Indiana career is going to look like? Um, I never really dreamed about having a long career in the NBA. I didn't grow up seeing myself uh, as an NBA player. I, you know, I watched the NBA and I was a, I was a big like Rick Barry fan. Um, loved watching him play. Um, I knew that I wasn't the type of athlete. If 
Um, you know, you had asked the question earlier after my junior year. I mean, I had actually heard inklings after my junior year that maybe the Lakers and some of the different people might be interested because obviously they had a big, like I could have played on a team that had a great center like Jabbar where he could pass it out and I could shoot jump shots. You know, that was, uh, that was all good. But uh, if I didn't get on the right team, if I was going to have to create my own shot and do things like that, I wasn't of the athlete, wasn't the athlete that that league was in. Uh, I think I could have played for four or five years and been efficient and helped uh, help teams out in certain situations, like a Corver, people like that that kind of are specialists in what they do. Right. But uh, after I had the surgery. Uh, yeah, it took my draft status from being like probably 15 to 20 to up to where I was like the 41st person taken. And then coach felt like I should try to go to Italy and play. And I went over there and played for a while. But, you know, they were looking for that 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 running, high-flying, dunking. And, and that was not what I was, you know. Right. I mean, I, was, I, I led their team in scoring and was scoring 22, 23 points a game. But I'm shooting free throws. I'm you know, getting to the free time, I'm not dunking and, you know, high flying and putting people in the seats. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it kind of happened at a bad time. And I wish that I would have had a chance to have played in the NBA, e- even if it was only for three or four years, just to have said that I did it. Sure. Uh, because, sure. you know, I, I came back and I worked out with the, uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks and I went to summer camp with them and actually played very well had a couple really big games and played well, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, their, uh, their doctors and medical staff just didn't feel like my back was in a position where, uh, it would hold up over a long NBA season. And so they usually would not pass me on a physical and maybe it was a blessing for me because I've had a, a very good life with a great wife and great kids and, uh, you know, uh, life's been pretty good. I, I want to circle back around just to, to the end of your senior season after you uh, were lost to the team because of your back. Coach Knight did something he only did once in his career. He put up a banner in Assembly Hall for the Big Ten Championship. You won that year as a homage to the fans, a tribute to the fans who he said stuck with the team and willed them to victory after your injury. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to the fans at IU and and what they meant to you and the team, not just that season, but in your time there? Uh, The fans were always fabulous. Um, I mean, there was nothing like the Indiana basketball fans. I mean, I used to laugh when people would have weddings or, uh, you know, important things. Well, make sure it's not on this night because I use playing or make sure it's not on Saturday afternoon because I use playing Michigan that day or, you know, something like that. Because, I mean, the IU basketball games used to be on Channel 4. I mean, it was it was the most important thing going. I mean, it was the number one show. Uh, Bob Knight, love him or hate him, the people of Indiana loved him. He was their guy and, uh, you know, everything that he was doing. Um uh, so the fans were always fantastic. The kids uh, uh, that you went to school with at IU were always supportive. They knew who you were, uh, obviously. Uh, so life was pretty good uh, being an Indiana University <laughs> basketball player in, in those days. Uh, you were very well recognized. Uh, 
you played for the best coach in the country. You played in a, a system where you did things the right way. Uh, you didn't cheat and you didn't get paid to play and uh, you did it for the love of the game. And so, yeah, life was very, very good. Well, and, and for somebody who was just a little too young to remember your playing days, I can say that between my father uh, and Coach Knight, I'd say then I put Martha the Mop Lady and you and John Laskowski as the earliest <laughs> and most important memories of my IU fandom. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you got involved announcing the games with Laz and if it was even half as fun to do it as it was to listen to you guys? It, it was fun, I, and I tried to make it fun. I tried to make it like I was sitting at home on the couch and I was sitting with my dad and discussing the game you know, whatever. Uh, I didn't try to be Dick Vitale and, 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 you know, be the smartest guy in the world, you know, things like that. But, uh, it, you know, I didn't really, uh, they came to me. Uh, I had been on channel four and been on, uh, a couple things with IU and they liked that I, you know, tried to make life fun. And, uh, so they asked me, so I started doing the, uh, studio, uh, half times, post game, pre game, things like that. And then Chuck Marlowe had some physical problems. And so they asked me uh, to do the uh, color. And Laz, they asked him to step over and do play by play. I mean, now it was a big jump for him because he had to do the play by play. Play by play is a hell of a lot harder than color. Color, all you're doing is just commenting on what's going on, you know. But, uh, yeah, I tried to make it fun, tried to educate people a little bit as far as what coach was trying to get accomplished with doing this or doing that, uh, what Katie was doing with his team trying to do this or that, you know, I mean, uh, so I tr tried to make it fun for everybody. And uh, we had a good time. Uh, it, it was a great time. I mean, obviously, the only thing I told him, uh, I said, I'll basically be willing to do anything, but I will not interview night do not ask me to interview <laughs> the interview night because i knew he would try to make an ass out of me uh, so, so i uh uh you know but laz and i had a great time i think we did it for about 13 years uh 13 or 14 years and had a great run and uh you know maybe would still be doing it but uh espn plus kind of came in and took things over yep and th they cut all the production costs in half so rather than having an announce crew for indiana and announcing crew for iowa now all of a sudden they just bring in you know uh you know the guy from chicago they'd bring in he and kelser and they do the game so it's not it's it, it's not like it used to be where you had an indiana indiana telecast one of the things that we've been fortunate enough to uh, talk with many former Coach Knight players is the fact that Coach Knight, beyond the kind of maniacal, hard practices, just hellish, you know, behind-the-scenes uh, torture that he put you through, is how funny he could also be. That he had an incredible sense of humor, and when the moment was right, whether it was a line or just going after somebody in a really funny way, he could really crack everybody up. Does anything stick out to you in your time with coach Knight of him just making you or the team laugh just uncontrollably? Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's a brilliant guy. First of all, I mean, he's not just some 
guy who knows how to coach basketball. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he reads, he reads all the time. He's always got his nose in a book and reading. And he used to get me to read, you know, he'd say, you know, you need to improve your verbal skills. You need to start reading more. And so he, he'd give me books and tell me to read these books and things like that. So, but, uh, I mean, he, he could be funny at times. Uh, I mean, he, he, he's not the guy that I'd want to go out and have a beer with because, <laughs> uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way other than, you know, he was my coach, you know, and he told my mom and dad one time, he says, I'm not his buddy. I'm his coach. Hmm. You know, and I think sometimes people today kind of get that confused. They think, oh, geez, the guy, this guy's an asshole because he doesn't treat my son right, right, right. You know what? His job, he's getting paid big, big, big money to make your son the absolute best he can possibly be. And if he needs to have a foot in his ass all the time to get that done, then that's what he's going to, that's what he's going to do. I mean, that's what I see in Nick Saban, right? You know, he's going to do whatever he can to make his team and his individuals the best that they can possibly be. And that's the way coach Knight was. So, uh, I mean, he, he, he could be very funny. And there were a lot of times that we laughed a lot. Um, but you always knew where you stood. It was like always, he was the coach. Always, exactly. He was the coach, and uh, that that that's still the way it is today. So one of the things I think that people love about you, Kitch, it's one of the things I know Ward and I love about you, uh, both when you were calling the games and also just in interviews and stuff you have done, and I think anybody listening to this will know, you're not a guy who beats around the bush. You keep it real. You keep it real. You say <laughs> what's on your mind. And over the last, let's call it, 10, 11, 12 years of, of Indiana basketball, which has been tumultuous to say the least. Uh, there have been times where you have made some comments that got a lot of uh, publicity because you were, were strong in your feelings and maybe going against the conventional wisdom at times. Um, I don't really want to focus on the Kelvin Sampson stuff because I think that was universal and you were proven to be right that that, that was a terrible hire, the wrong hire, the wrong people were making the call on that hire. They're gone. It didn't work out for anybody. No. No. But a few years ago, uh, when Tom Crean was let go, there was uh, Fred Glass, had, you know, the athletic director for Indiana, made, made a public statement that there were certain criteria that he was looking for. And being an Indiana guy was definitely one of the columns that if you had a check in that column, it would matter. I'm paraphrasing, but, but that is basically what he said, that that would matter, being an Indiana guy. You made some comments once Archie was hired that Fred basically was just giving us lip service and that that whole Indiana guy stuff didn't really matter. He was saying it to appease the fan base. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, Kitch, but – something to that effect. Um, yeah. Do you, looking now, it's been a couple years, do you, you stand by those comments about that process and also would love to, well, let's start there. Do you stand by those comments? I do. Um, you know, don't tell me that you're going to hire you guy and, you're, and that you're going to talk to Alfred and you're going to talk to Whitman or Woodson or Dane Fife or Michael Lewis. I mean, don't tell me that you're going to do that, and then and then you don't do it. Right. And don't tell me that you talked to Alfred because you didn't talk to Alfred, because Alfred called Hillman and said, hey, you know, Joe, I'll do anything I can to get that job. And when Hillman talked to him, did you talk to Fred Glass? Did they talk? No, they didn't even call me. 
They didn't call me. They didn't say hello. They didn't say nothing. You know, right. I know that they didn't talk to Whitman. That he's my best friend. I know they didn't talk to Woody. He's one of my best friends. They didn't talk to anybody. Fred Glass has tried to get as far away as possible from Bob Knight and anything to do with Bob Knight. Maybe Fred Glass ought to look at the uh, and see what Bob Knight accomplished in the years that he was at Indiana. Because it's a hell of a lot more than Fred Glass has ever accomplished doing anything. You know, other than building new, new football stadiums and great new locker rooms and, you know, Cook Hall and all the great things that they have. They have fabulous facilities. The only problem is, is they don't have any championships anymore. It doesn't mean, you know, the football team's still hor- horrible. You know, the basketball team loses 12 out of 13 with that team last year. I mean, I don't know Archie. I'm, he, he did a heck of a job at, at, at Dayton. You know, I worry about people that if you lose 12 out of 13 with the type of talent that he had last year. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it's a little disappointing that you want to get away from everything that was good about the program, everything that people loved about the program. Bob Knight winning championships, competing for national championships. Uh, those type of things don't happen in Bloomington anymore. Um, one of the things that, that when we started this podcast, this was not our goal, but what quickly became a goal is when we started talking to former players like yourself, we started with AJ Moye and Jared Jeffries, and we've talked to Kent Benson and John Leskowski. And it's really been, just this unbelievable ride of talking to the people that made Indiana what Indiana is. And one of the things that was frustrating for us as we started this was that the past of uh, uh, the past administrations and, and basketball programs, including coach Creens did not do in our opinion, a good enough job connecting the different eras and paying enough respect and love for the people that came before and built it. And we were worried about the current, program and whether they cared about it. Now, this is just me speaking from my personal experience. I went back recently and participated in the Victor Oladipo, Archie Miller fantasy camp where I got to see former players back. Calbert was back. John Leskowski came by. Brian Evans was there. Um, And I got to talk to some of the, the people. I didn't talk to Fred Glass. He was not around. I didn't see him there. But I did talk to Archie and the coaching staff and Scott Dolson, who is there as the deputy AD. And it seems like to me that Archie and his staff are very focused on connecting to the past of Indiana and making the alumni base welcome, that they want that. Have you felt any of that? And is that news to you? And does that matter to you? Um, yeah, it really doesn't matter that much to me. I mean, they don't need to you know, worry about me. I mean, I'm an old guy who, uh, you know, but I would like them to experience what I experienced. Right. I mean, that, that is what I want. I want that team to experience what I experienced playing for big 10 championships, winning big 10 championships, playing for national championships. Um, you know, those are the things that they should be doing. Um, and, uh, right now we're not doing that. And, uh, well, that's, I know that I, yeah, I know that it's very difficult out there today with all the AAU programs and you got the coaches that are, you know, I mean, they're all, they're all on, you know, on the pay, pay list. I mean, Krzyzewski's getting paid and 
Self's getting paid and Calipari, you know, they're all getting paid and they're all paying their players or the shoe companies are paying their players. So, you know, it's a, it's a crazy deal. I mean, obviously the FBI got involved in it a couple years ago. And I think by the time they opened it up, they said, Whoa, I don't think we want to get into this can of worms. Right. Because, because it's just totally out of hand and we're making our $8 billion a year on TV and everything else. So we'll just leave it, let it go as it is. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, if, if Archie can get it done, that's fine. I, I mean, I don't have any problem with Archie. I mean, but how can you lose 12 out of 13 and you keep doing what you're doing? You're going to keep getting what you're getting. He kept putting the same starting five out there. I'm going to find some, something different. I'm going to do something different because I'm tired of losing and watching the team lose. I mean, I like to see Indiana win. Yeah. So, so can um, we, can we take this to mean you do, you watch the games and, and you, I watch, you... I watch all the games. I, I've still got season tickets. I mean, um, you know, and my boys go down and watch most of the games, but, uh, are, are you yeah, encouraged I, I, by the, I, the number of Indiana guys he's, he's getting on, on the team now, he's going to have a really heavy IU team here come, if not this season, next season, it'll be the majority Indiana players. Do you think that's still significant? I think it is. Um, uh, you know, if, if they've grown up Indiana fans and they're going to compete a lot harder uh, for a team that they've grown up rooting for than if, uh, you know, some kid from Florida who, who could give a damn about Indiana. I mean, he's just here because they've offered him a scholarship. So I, I think it's important stuff. Um, and I think there's still a lot of great players in this state that, uh, you know, that, uh, I mean, uh, Izzo seems to do pretty good yeah. with a lot of the, the Indiana players he's gotten. So, uh, uh, you know, I just think that we need to do a little bit better job as far as recruiting the certain certain guys and uh, and and getting those guys to play for Indiana. I, I totally agree. I, I do think that and I understand what you're saying, that like they don't need to reach out to you. You know, you're a guy who played many years ago. But I will tell you from a fan perspective, knowing that our being able to look at, at any game that's played in Assembly Hall and seeing former players there. And knowing that the former players are welcome and being part of the program, for us fans, I do think that's an important piece of the puzzle. And I think it's an important piece of the puzzle for keeping the best kids from Indiana in the state of Indiana. Because it just makes it feel like it means something more than just wins and losses. It's Indiana. It's always seemed to mean more to people like you and Randy Whitman and Quinn Buckner and Scott May and Steve Alford. I think that connecting to the past, connecting to Coach Knight's legacy in any way they can, which truthfully means connecting to the former players, can only help the health of the program. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, Coach Knight used to have, like, all those seats right behind the bench right there. Those used to be his seats, and those were the, like, if we called down and wanted to go down to a game, I mean, you would usually sit there. That way, when the camera focused in on him, you would see, oh, hey, there's Buckner, there's Scotty May. There's Kent Benson. There's Laz. Right. They're you know they're there at the game, you know where uh, you know now you, I mean who knows you know they set you in the end zone or they they put you you know who knows where and I mean you obviously have to pay for tickets you don't uh, you don't uh, get anything like that so it's all about the money and making the money and um, 
Well, it's just, well, uh, you know, it's a different world, but it's also 40 years ago when I played there. So, uh, you know, it's been a long time. Well, I will tell you, if there's one thing not about making the money, it is our podcast. Because we don't make any money on the podcast. We do it for the love of Indiana. And we do it for the love of players like you who gave everything they had to Indiana. And so much so that in November, November 16th, we're actually doing an event in Bloomington where we're going to do a live event at the Bluebird, and a lot of former players are going to come. And Kitsch, if you're around and available, we would love to invite you to come as our guest and be there at the Bluebird for this event. Free of charge. <laughs> that is very nice of you. What did you say, November 16th? November 16th. It's a Saturday. Indiana plays Troy that day. It's probably going to be an event like from noon to 3. We're going to have former players there. George Leach and Jeff Newton, who own a barbecue business in Charlotte, are bringing their barbecue business to Bloomington that day to cater it. Uh, it wow. It's going to be great. We're going to do a podcast from there. Lots of former players are going to be there. And we would be honored if, uh, and I understand you have a busy schedule, but if your schedule allowed, we would love to see you there. I'll do my best to try to get there. That would be awesome. And I think we're going to try to, at Laz, we'll hopefully bring some custard, right? Yes, Laz is going to yeah. bring some custard for sure. All right, before we, let you, before we let you get out of here, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you just some favorite Bloomington memories. So let's start with favorite pizza, Bloomington. Uh, my favorite pizza is probably not there anymore. I used to love Godfather's Pizza. Oh, that's God. My, yeah. Okay. My wife and I would always go as Godfather. All right. What about favorite restaurant overall in Bloomington? Oh, gosh. What's the name of it? Uh, the big steak place. Little Zagreb's. Little Zagreb's, yes. exactly. Yes. And favorite bar? By far. Uh, well, I mean, again, things have changed. I mean, my, my, our favorite bar was the reg, the regulator. Where was that? It, it was, uh, it was up, uh, I think it's an, it's now like a sports bar or something. Oh, I wonder if it but, was what Kilroy's was. Yeah, was. I think it was Kilroy's. Uh, okay. But anyway, it was the regulator back, back in my day. And do you have a class that you remember as a student at Indiana that was your most hated class? Uh, accounting, by far, <laughs> was my most hated class. <laughs> well... Uh, Kitch, I got to say, man, going down memory lane with you has been so fun. As Ward said, we're, we're 41, 42 years old here. And so your teams were right at the cusp of us kind of being born into the Indiana program and being fans of it. But my dad, my uncle would talk about you and your teams nonstop and how smooth of a stroke you had. And getting to, to kind of walk down memory lane with you and hear how much these games meant to you and what playing for Indiana meant to you has just been an honor and a privilege. And I, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for Indiana and what you've done for us in taking the time to talk to us. And your voice being so important in my childhood as, as, as the voice, along with Laz, of Indiana basketball for those seasons that set me on a course for life where I would be such a hardcore Indiana fan, I would be bugging you 30 years later to talk to us remotely from my garage in California. It's kind of all no. your fault, so I want to thank <laughs> you for that. Well, you're, you're both very kind. Uh, obviously, uh, I've been the luckiest guy of, of all to have had the opportunity of, to play there, to play with the great players that Coach Knight recruited. 
to play for Coach Knight. Uh, I mean, a dream come true for me to be a kid from Galveston, Indiana, to win a national championship, to play on three Big Ten championships. Uh, just very, very fortunate. Uh, so I feel very, very lucky. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everything that you guys have done and every, all the nice things you've said. Thank you. Well, the uh, you you are more than welcome, and uh, I am sure everyone listening to this would agree that the IU fan base is lucky that the kid who played for Lewis Cass decided not to go to Arkansas and play for Sutton and come to Indiana because you've given many of us uh, lifetimes of memories and things to remember fondly, and especially all, that fourth banner that's hanging in Assembly Hall. And when all those Peru guys are ending up at, at Purdue or Kentucky, at least somebody <laughs> from North Central Indiana went to the right school. You got that right. All right, Kitch, thanks so much for your time. Uh, again, uh, to anybody listening, we are going to put up the information for Kitch's charity for Parkinson's research. And we will put that up on uh, Twitter, and I'll put it up on the Pigs message boards as well. Thanks so much, Kitch, and we hope to see you in person. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care, Take man. Care. All right. Don't take your headphones off. I didn't. I was just touching them. No, you were about to think about <laughs> um, Just a real guy, right? Like 100% authentic. It's just uh, a real surreal situation that that's the voice right and it happened with laz too and that those two guys and their rapport and their take on our games and what was going on then you get to be we get to be the other voice right with them for a couple of hours is a, a full circle type of thing it is, and I just love how honest he is. I mean, you could tell, like, he's not a guy who's going to mince words. He's going to say what he feels. He's near 60 years old. He's lived a good life. He doesn't need to beat around the bush and, and protect anyone's feelings. Well, and look, injuries, yada, yada, of last season, um, I mean, I'm certainly one who is a glass-half-full type of guy, but you hear somebody with such knowledge and experience just sort of lay it out like that, and you're like, "Mm, okay, I'm a little nervous again. Yeah, but you know what? Look, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I love the... But but his opinion is way, way more convincing to me than my own. (laughs) Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, Look, I'm going to focus on everything else because uh, I'm trying to stay... I'm still in this positive Kool-Aid drinking mode from the camp. Because the season hasn't started. Fine. (laughs) But I'm going to stay there. Um, Look, his his philosophy comes down to just win. Just win and win the right way. He's the Al Davis of IU. Right. Well, except for I think Al wouldn't necessarily do it the right way. (laughs) But he's just win and do it the Indiana way, and that matters to him. So until they do, he's right. Right. You know, like well, until they do. And it is he's right. It is somewhat. Interesting, for lack of a better word, when you talk about NBA coaches, right, these are the the best minds in basketball. And once you get to be an NBA coach, it's very rare, especially a successful one. It's very rare to then be interested in going back to coach the college game and that the the current administration had such faith in in young Archie um over Woodson or Whitman or these guys who have had a very high level of success for a very long time you know I think it does go to show the sort of potential a lot of people uh, see in Archie and that I think we all hope still as a young coach he can really blossom into being one of the truly great minds in the game I'm certainly still optimistic that's where this is all headed but when you 
you pass up somebody who is like coaching an NBA franchise to success. That is that is a rare luxury, if you want to call it that, and and a risky one. One that that your legacy as an athletic director will be defined oh, by. Oh, totally. His legacy will be defined by Fred Glass's legacy will be defined by Archie Miller and Tom Allen. That's the truth. I mean, he screwed up with Kevin Wilson. And now he's trying to redeem himself, and I don't want to get into that one. I just don't. But it, but it'll it's be de- been such a pleasant morning. But it'll be defined by Archie. That that hire will. And, and I I had this conversation with my dad uh, yesterday, I think, about Abernathy, uh, not Abernathy, uh, Whitman and Woodson. I I understand where Kitch is coming from. I totally do. And I think if the college game was what it was thirty years ago, what he says would have, like airtight logic to it that coaching basketball is coaching basketball and 30 years ago and before that but even 30 years ago recruiting in the college game was largely regional you didn't really go outside of your region for the most part there are exceptions to the rule but you know when when UCLA got Lou Alcindor from New York that was like mind-blowing bag of money Sam Gilbert um but it was regional and coaching the game was like 80% 80% of the equation and 20% was recruiting. It has been totally flipped on its head where, where the college game is today. It is like 80% recruiting, and then you hope that the guy can be smart enough to figure out the coaching. And so with NBA guys that didn't come through the college ranks, that have no relationship with AAU programs, that have no relationships with the high school coaches that are developing the talent, that aren't, they don't know the states in and out the way that some of these guys that have come up through the college ranks and know the recruiting. Right, but I, I think that's why Kitchell isn't just talking about Whitman and Woodson. He was talking about Alfred. Michael Lewis and, yeah, no, and the, Dane Fife. Those are more fair, for sure. So, I think and, the Whitman and Woodson ones... But, but if look, we got into that conversation, I can understand why they didn't. But to but, not but, call but, them is a problem. Th- that's the thing, because we don't know who Randy Whitman and Mike Woodson know in Indiana, who they would bring in to be their staff, who might have those relationships, and how quickly, if you've had a very successful collegiate and professional career, both as a player and a coach, how quickly can you develop those relationships, particularly if you bring the right people in under you. We'll never know. But I think the reason he's justifiably upset is that those guys didn't even get a chance to make their case. Well, I think he's – I'll back up one from that. I think he'd be less upset if the athletic director didn't say that he was going to do that. Well, sure. It's it's that he publicly said, I'm going to call Indiana guys, and he didn't. And and to Kitch's point, Kitch thinks that – Fred has said, I did call them, and he's saying, no, you didn't. I think that's what chaps his ass more than anything. Yeah, they were like 15 minutes, like, cursory. Or none. I mean, Alfred was none. Uh, yeah, I get, I, yeah, that's there what he's was saying. zero you know, contact. Woodson was none. So, I, again, he's entitled to his opinion. He knows these guys. They're his friends. And he lived through wars at Indiana and was there for five years. So what he says carries a lot more weight than what you and I say, totally. Yeah, in terms of that's it, we're all tr- – he was smack dab in the middle of the greatest run of basketball in IU history. You know, he won the middle championship. He was on a couple other teams that easily could have won championships. He was surrounded by 10 different players who went on to professional careers. And the best coach in the game at his peak. And so I think it's 
boy, we're you know everybody always will be hoping and waiting for the next great run like that. Probably never gonna see it, but you know, a, to to the point we were saying with maybe he was being he was being modest about how important it is or is not to have that connection to the past. These coaches now, the players, certainly the players now who are half the age of the coaches, they don't have any of their own memories of championships. At Indiana, right. And and to believe, besides seeing the banners, and that is a powerful symbol, an image to look up and see what has been accomplished in that building. Okay, that's great. But now you need to spend time with the players and the coaches who brought those banners to Bloomington. Learn the mental toughness, the the outlook on the game they had that got them to the top of the mountain, you know, because otherwise it's just theoretical. If you're a bunch of players and coaches standing around talking about what we think we have to do to win a championship, it's theoretical. Talk to Ted Kitchell. He can tell you very specifically what it takes to win a national championship. I agree. It's also why I love that it uh, Hoosier Hysteria, they're doing a big recognition for Calbert Chaney, Calbert. bringing him back, which is great. Calbert seems to be more and more into the fold. He was back for a day at the uh, fantasy camp. Oh. I love that. Oh, I loved seeing you with him. It was awesome. So <laughs> I, And Sharon Wilkerson said, you can judge a program by do the former players come back. How healthy is that program? Judge it by do the former players come back. And I agree with him. I I think that's a huge piece to the puzzle. And, and I do think like Archie is committed to it. It's headed in the right direction. And and your reports back from Fantasy Camp and just the people who were there, it's clear that's headed in the right direction. It is. To Kitch's point, none of it matters if you don't win. Well, but it can help you. Well, we hope. It, we hope. It, it, it it's can, an intangible. It can be a part of the many pieces it takes to be a winning yep. team. Now we need to see it on the court. Let's do it. Come um, on. This year. Let's go now. Let's. I mean, look, look, I'll just touch real quick. I was listening to our great friends at Assembly Call, and they did this uh, sort of poll of polls and basically came back with the experts pick us 10th this yeah, year. Out of 14. Yeah. So I, it actually makes me excited, you know. Because the bar is so low? I just, I... Going back to you were maybe the first saying as last season was wrapping up, we'll probably be a better team this yeah, year. Yeah, I still think and that. I really, really hope and believe that and just can't wait for the games to actually start and to start proving all these shows wrong. By the time this one, this podcast airs, which will be a week from today. Correct, yes. So we will be like 10 days out from uh, Hoosier Hysteria. Uh, All right, guys. Well, as always, thank you. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics. Email us at HoosierHysterics at gmail.com. Come to our event. The Bluebird. The Bluebird. The Hysterics are playing the Bluebird. Barbecue. Ooey Barbecue provided by George Leach and uh, Jeff Newton, former players. It's going to be incredible. That's going to be my, like, how you do it with pigs. I'm going to, that is so less annoying than what I do. I, that's nice. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, okay. nice. You notice I at least back away from the mic. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I <laughs> lean in. I swallow the mic when I do it. Um, but make sure you sign up and get your tickets. Uh, 
on our Twitter feed, you can find the link. It's on Pig's message boards. You can find the link for the Eventbrite. I can't wait to see you guys. It's going to be great. Oh, man. I mean, I, I see your weird nicknames on Twitter and the Pig's forum, but I just really want to see your human faces and learn your human names. And we would love to see as many Hoosier Hysterics t-shirts being worn at that event as humanly possible. <laughs> we'll be selling some there, but if you go to Home Field Apparel, uh, you can go search for Hoosier Hysterics on Home Field Apparel, and you will see our incredibly soft T-shirts. They really are incredibly soft. Well, it's funny because as you said it like that, the idea of walking into the Bluebird and seeing our faces on a bunch of people's like two hundred like, people. Do I want to see that? I do. I do. I mean, I it'll look like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, thank you for your time, and we will see you next week. Go Hoosiers! Halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.